I'm going to call the meeting to order. We have been starting each time just a little bit later, and so I am wanting to be prompt on this. So, um, clerk of the board, would you please call the roll? Yes. Oh, Trustee Here. Trustee hey, He will be talking. He's going to be a lady. Here. Trustee Here. Trustee Trustee Thompson? Present. Trustee Zorinthian? Here. We have a quorum. Okay, thank you. Uh, I will open the meeting and ask if there are any uh, public comments. You wish to, would you like to step? Did you fill out a little form, Doctor? Okay. Yes. So, why don't you? Just, just one? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. My name is Bob Savio. I'm a pediatrician and president of Oak Care Medical Group. Along with a bunch of members of Oak Care Medical Group, I'd like to do a quick introduction. I'll be done in my three minutes. <laughs> Dr. Rachel Baden, who's the chair of internal medicine, Benny Liu from EI, Steve Sacrin, internal medicine and intensive care, Peter Hole, our CEO, um, Eric Snewy from the emergency room, my boss, Dr. Donna Carey, chief of pediatrics. Dave Hoffman, pediatrics, and um, actually the chair of our HR committee, and Dr. Sophie Schabel, who is the interim chair of maternal child health, Barry Simon, the chair of the emergency department, and Dr. Tom Frolick, chief of cardiology. Um, we'd like to thank Alameda County Health System Board of Trustees um, for their consideration for approval of the contract between Oak Care Medical Group and Alameda health partners to provide physician services to our patients here at AHS. Oak Care has been training providers for the future and providing high quality health care to the residents of Alameda County since 1995. And this is the largest physician contractor with the longest dedication to the system. The scale and scope of Oak Care services to AHS made negotiation of this new contract with Alameda Health Partners complex. But cooperation and transparency on both sides led to a successful outcome. This is a fair contract that is risk-bearing, including both productivity and quality metric incentives. The general sentiment of the process was positive and forward-thinking. And we would like to personally recognize Dr. Jamaluddin for his leadership and vision throughout the process. O'Care leadership is committed to Dr. Jamaluddin to engage in effective communication and dialogue with Alameda Health Partners during the term of this contract to discuss a vision for the future. OCARE will meet regularly with Dr. Jamaluddin and AHP leadership to plan a path forward for a unified and aligned physician-led organization to serve the patients of Alameda Health System. We're grateful and proud of our dedicated history of service and excited to look to the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I, well, I usually don't make any comment in public, but I do want to thank you for your patience and for your perseverance. I know this has taken a long time, um, but we certainly appreciate the work that has gone into it. 
thank you to Dr. Um, for your work, Dr. Jamal Levine. It, it really was quite something. So thank you so much. We look forward to a long and happy partnership. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Any other uh, public comment tonight? No. Okay, thank you. Then uh, we will move forward, and I will uh, ask, uh, we got the President's report. I want to just very quickly to let the Board know that today we completed the um, the last of the interviews for the Board vacancy. We, um, The committee will, with the exception of Joe DeVries, who is going to make a phone call because he missed one of meeting one of the candidates, we should be, uh, the, the committee should be forming their decision next week. We will bring our recommendation to you at the next board meeting and then send those two names to the um, supervisors for, for their approval. So we've got some really good candidates who applied, very, very knowledgeable people in healthcare. We're really pleased that, that we had the, the quality we did. Uh, on the other one, on the other note, if those of you who were at the QPSC, we had um, the doctors from the various hospital staffs talk about um, their inability to really choose and meet the bylaws, choose a single doctor to represent or to serve on this board the way Dr. Jabor. <laughs> I do that every time. I'm sorry. Um, who Barry has been sitting on our board. Um, that um, I sent them a note inviting them uh, if they wish to have me or any of you attend some of their MEC meetings to help um, resolve some of the issues or have a further discussion about that. So I got uh, two emails back, one from Dr. Hearn, the other from um, Dr. At, uh, at Alameda. So we will, I will keep you informed about where we are with that. And that's my report for tonight. <coughs> Let's move to the action consent agenda. Um, can I have a motion to approve the consent agenda? One through five. I'll move. Second. Any questions on any items one through five? Okay. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, thank you. And our next one is the approval of the contract with Oak Care. And we will ask, yes, Dr. Zorthian to uh, to recuse herself. Okay, is there a motion to approve? I'll move. Thank you. I'll second. Thank you. Any questions? I think we had a pretty thorough conversation at uh, at finance and I know you guys have read your materials okay all in favor Aye. Aye. thank you opposed great we'll move to item D then the information on the um, oh yes we better get Barry thank you I'll have you introduce him. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going just to take a little pause and ask Trustee Jensen. She has an introduction for us. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'd just like to um, let the board know that tonight we have the president of the Alameda Healthcare District Board with us, Mr. Mike Williams. Thanks for coming, Mike. Mike, will you stand so we can? Sure. Thank you. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. 
It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Has returned uh, to rejoin the meeting, and Trustee Jensen and Trustee DeBreeze are now here as well, too. Thank you. Okay, item D information discussion on the annual budget. Well, that was quick. <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, uh, a big portion of today is the budget. So, uh, uh, good afternoon, good evening, uh, trustees. Uh, great to see you all. Um, we have some some uh, hot off the press uh, updates, and I apologize uh, that actually just sort of the nature of the, the frenzy. Um, uh, truncated, I should say, time period between finance, the last finance committee and the, and the uh, board meeting. Um, um, we, we, as I said in a, a message to you all, we gave you the background document that we gave to the finance committee, uh, but uh, we have taken a lot of feedback, a, a lot of great feedback from um, the finance committee as well as my one-on-one -on -one, uh, follow-up with a couple of the trustees on some of the concerns in the, in the budget. And uh, so tonight's presentation, as you have it at your station and as we will go through Can you move the mic closer? Sorry, I this closer, thank you. As we will go through um, in the uh, deck uh, uh, is a is a reflection or reflects some of the, the adjustments and edits we've made based off of the, the feedback that uh, we've heard from the finance committee and other trustees who attended as well as uh, that, that informal feedback and uh, to some minor degree um, uh, updates and changes that have occurred also over the course of uh, the past week. Before I get into the uh, budget, I actually want to take a small point of personal privilege um, uh, for both Mike and I. Um, we, uh, it's summer, and as is the case uh, for the summer, um, Alameda Health System, along with a couple of other organizations, tend to welcome interns um, uh, for the summer for schools around the, um, the area or students who are graduating from school and interested in various careers. Uh, uh, we've done this in, um, in large part in connection with a couple of our local schools, uh, Hastings uh, Law School, UC Berkeley, and a program at UC Berkeley host a sort of statewide called Health Career Connections. And uh, this year, uh, we have the fortune of having two fellows in, um, or I say interns in hospital administration and uh, two interns in uh, legal affairs. And, and all four of them, two are here and two are over. Oh, there they are. Okay, are here this evening. So I just wanted them to uh, briefly stand up and introduce themselves and uh, say where you are in school and, and if you just graduated, where you graduated from. So why don't we start with our, our legal uh, interns? Hello, everyone. I'm Kenya Vega. I just finished my, finished my first year at UCC. Hi, everyone. I'm Ray Singson. I just finished my second year at UCC. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, everyone. My name is and I just graduated from Loyola and I got Cool. Welcome, ladies. And Welcome. I'm sorry, these two are doing what? Uh, they're working oh, in administration for the summer. Uh, uh, they're primarily with Ishwari and I, so they'll be doing kind of uh, a combination of administrative slash uh, population health or community-based ah. uh, work with us, and, the, and they, they'll be working. I met the legal staff earlier. Yes. Just wanted to introduce them to you all and you'll recognize their faces over the next couple of weeks or oh, welcome. Next of board meetings, so. Hope you have a good summer. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you all. All righty. So now we'll get into the budget. Uh, the overview, let me try to do this in a way that's not confusing to myself. 
the overview is uh, largely the same, but important to set the context, and then uh, we'll walk through with you um, uh, some of the, uh, the highlights. And um, I will try to, uh, obviously, answer any questions as we go along. Uh, we've structured it in a way that um, um, sort of builds upon itself, so, so hopefully the questions as you have uh, posed them to me already or us already are reflected here and to the extent that they aren't, obviously we have one more bite at this apple uh, uh, between this meeting and the next meeting to, to address them. Uh, uh, and I suspect there may be some of those and so we're happy to do that. Uh, uh, but otherwise, um, certainly, uh, um, the attempt here is to address all the questions we've posed already. What happens if we don't pass it next time? If you don't pass it, we don't have a budget and? for next year. So, I mean, we have to obviously we need a budget. Uh, so I, I, I would guess we, we keep going. But on the um, from, let's just say I think it would be precedent. And so I don't I don't know to be perfectly honest. But we could figure that out. I might as well join Washington. Right? We're, we're in a holding pattern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. I don't know that joining okay. Washington is, is where anyone wants to be right now or go. That's not the direction we certainly want to go in. Uh, okay, so um, uh, principal, obviously we want to keep building on our foundational infrastructure as, uh, as laid out in our strategic plan, advanced critical initiatives proposed in this budget that uh, get us towards uh, that ultimate direction of population health management. Uh, assumptions that really um, um, drove a lot of uh, this year's budget was increasing uncertainty of federal reform efforts, uh, likelihood of reduced uh, uh, reimbursement and growth in future years. Um, uh, not as much in this year, uh, um, to, to be clear, uh, but certainly uh, the uncertainty is here for this year and uh, has the potential to impact out years. Uh, baseline 2017 performance uh, is, is kind of the starting point and it's adjusted for any volume changes uh, which uh, net out to be relatively flat for the organization uh, and cost of living adjustments um, uh, as dictated by labor contracts and other uh, indicators. Uh, projected marginal uh, volume growth across acute services and projected growth in ambulatory visits as you'll see. Uh, increase in wages to reflect uh, requirements of our MOUs staffing requirement, oh, and I should say, uh, underscore the commitment to system disparity, as uh, uh, you all know, in terms of efforts we've been doing over the course of the year. Uh, increased staffing required to cover uh, meals and breaks um, for nursing, primarily uh, driven by MOU requirements. Uh, shifting targeted- Excuse me, but increased staffing also for for some of the other, from the initiatives, right? Uh, yes, yes, and we'll get, we'll get into that in detail, but yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I think I was reflecting that uh, in the um, in the in the last slide. But yeah, absolutely. And you'll. And, Is there uh, a budget number associated with the increased staffing for MOU? Yes, uh, and you'll see that a little a bit later. <clears throat> okay. Uh, and shifting targeted contract uh, shifting targeted contract resources from contracted staff to employed staff in areas across the system. And there's a number associated with that as well. And you'll see that shortly. Uh, this is just a highlight of our critical initiatives again. Um, I want to say because I, I recognize um, uh, that this is uh, quite high level, um, um, a couple of things I want to point out. Each one of these initiatives is, in and of themselves, um, we've tried to put a little bit more detail on the right-hand side of what's happening in each of the areas, but you should understand that there's a lot of deliverables that actually happen in every last one of these. And uh, we talked about them a, a bit in the retreat. Um, certainly recognize that it was, it's a lot to take in. Uh, um, 
Uh, for example, obviously the waiver you know a little bit more about. There are 10 projects. There are about 60 uh, metrics. Um, the projects themselves, other than the recent changes we made, don't change, but the deliverables change in terms of what the performance targets are, as well as the shift from uh, things being paid for reporting this year uh, to many of them being paid for performance uh, in the subsequent years. Health pack deliverables, we're still finalizing the contract with the county, but it includes uh, some of the initiatives that uh, were included in this year. So there's a core uh, component of the contract that includes, uh, or that's around providing just pure healthcare services to the remaining uninsured in the county. Uh, but then there's another um, sort of half of the contract that's around uh, paper performance deliverables. And some of the things that we worked on uh, this year that you'll remember is like buprenorphine uh, or other uh, opioid uh, um, um, alternative treatments for patients, Hep C uh, uh, clinic access expansion, and a couple of other initiatives that fold under that. This year will be. Um, looking at increasing some of the, or folding in some of the um, the whole person care components of the waiver here, deliverables tied to HEDIS measures and coordination with our managed care component uh, um, part partners, and a few other deliverables there. Under managed care, uh, continuing efforts to um, uh, move us towards doing uh, better population health management, getting ready for uh, capitation, so uh, this year, setting up our uh, provider group as a risk-bearing organization, uh, changing our uh, main uh, Medi-Cal uh, Medi managed care partner contracts to uh, some sort of uh, alternate payment model uh, in this year. Gain sharing is what we're going towards, not full capitation. Uh, and then a couple of other initiatives like Health Home Pilots, which is a project that uh, one of our um, managed care partners, the Alliance, is uh, put out and we were one of the uh, selected entities to do for complex care management. So again, all of these initiatives have a lot of different deliverables under them. Over the course of the year, we'll be sharing, uh, and we can do education of the year on what's all under here and how we're performing against it. Uh, but I just want you to know that you know there, there are several different uh, uh, components of each one of these. The revenue maximization one, it's, it's outlined there. We actually, because that one has both, um, and, and a couple of them do, uh, revenue and um, uh, expense impacts. Um, you'll see a little bit more of that as the slide, as the presentation goes along. The next one is uh, our attempt at a high level to show you what the budgeted impact is of the various um, um, uh, critical initiatives. So, uh, in cases where there's an FTE impact, you see the number of additional FTEs. So, to Trustee uh, Lawrence's point earlier where the additional FTEs fall here. I actually should have said something a second ago, I apologize. Uh, one of the um, um, admonitions or uh, requests of the board uh, from the Finance Committee um, uh, meeting was that we take a look at these critical initiatives and that while it was recognized that we paired them back significantly from the number of goals that we set out for last year that there is a potential still uh, that in our zeal to sort of keep balance and balance progression and moving forward as an organization to not oversubscribing that we may have not quite hit the mark there. Um, we took that to heart. Uh, we had a very significant um, uh, discussion in our executive leadership team around uh, each of these goals and the fact that I think a good part of that is, uh, uh, as we acknowledged last year, and you know from the dashboard, so we are we're not going to hit all the goals that we set out for last year. So, so this is a reflection of a, a scaling back. Uh, but still, I think we did acknowledge that it is quite a lot. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice that's not on here uh, is our innovation uh, program. Um, it's a bit tough to 
to pull away, but but I, but we think it was a responsible thing to do given the fact that uh, these are going to be uh, heavily resource intensive and expense uh, intensive uh, initiatives for the organization. That's something that, uh, while desirable and good to do, is not a necessary thing to do. Uh, so we didn't do it for the necessarily the uh, expense savings, although it does create that. We did it uh, to uh, as a response to your. Um, your, your uh, requests and suggestion that we really take a look at um, uh, what we're doing. And it was and, half a million, right? It was half a million dollars, that's correct. The other thing we did was uh, the initiative on access here that's implementing Alameda Primary Care Plan. Uh, we still very much intend to do that. One of the things that we recognize is that, um, largely from our efforts this year, um, we are not replacing in kind what was in Alameda for, Alameda, uh, for ambulatory care before, which is a bit of a sort of catch-as-catch-can ambulatory service that I think provided clinic visits. I didn't even know if it was once a week, but it was on a very minimal basis. We believe, as you've heard us say uh, uh, for quite a while, that we need to create uh, more of an ambulatory infrastructure there. And so we're, we're working to create that in a robust fashion. It is going to be a one to two provider clinic, but in order to recruit the right provider, uh, to build an infrastructure around him and or her to support that. That's going to take a while for us to do. And so uh, we have projected out as we looked at how this would work over the course of a year that we would be looking at both finding all the elements, finding spaces, staffing up, and all those sorts of things that the likelihood is the earliest we would have a clinic functional uh, maybe around the April uh, uh, time period of next year in tandem with all the other goals we have here. So so it is still a significant and important goal for us for the year, but but looking at, again, you know how much is going on, we recognize that this will be something that, uh, in terms of both a uh, an expense impact and then revenue from seeing new uh, patients, uh, we, we project that that will be the latter part of next year before it's fully established. It, is that why the total expense on that category is so low? Because I thought that that was a Yes, so it's, it's an experience for three months out of the year. Oh, three months of the fiscal year, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, um, so. Including those other initiatives under there, under that column? Uh, that's the, for that particular one, it's, you mean for access again? Yeah, waiver, prime, GPP, WPC, and ambulatory. Oh, uh, wait, help me understand the which second. one you're talking about. So I was just talking about, uh, whoops, ooh, oh, okay. Um, I was just talking about this particular line. Which which one are you asking about? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. My yeah. bad. Okay. No, that's okay. It's still low. Yeah, it's still low. And your point is accurate. I was just wondering if you were you were referring to some other stuff was, here. So I just I wanted to point out. I was sort of pointing out that on balance, we we looked at a couple of key areas, and uh, there's some other things that we did to kind of figure out how things sequence over the course of the year. It goes into uh, way more detail than you might be interested in at this particular point, or uh, that's useful to go through right now. But but suffice it to say, we we felt like we we needed to do some. Uh, um, different vantage point of looking at this and get some sense of our ability to perform and not overwhelm the organization. What does the $1.6 million for the EHR include? So <clears throat> one, so there's there's two portions of this uh, that are related to um, clinical, you, you want to speak to this? I can. Uh, yeah. The 1.6 is specifically for backfill. So for the people that need to work on the implementation of the project will be capitalized, but those that are that are the backfill for those people are additional hour dollars are needed to support overtime or a consultant to come in and backfill that person. Which can't be capitalized. Do we have an operational contingency in our budget to account for 
operational issues. I mean, there's never been something as big as EHR installed in the history of mankind that hasn't slowed down an organization, which is, I mean, when this, I remember sure. three years ago when we tried to install something for billing, it almost shut the system down. Yeah. So I what do we have as, as, an, as a budget item to... So I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at this, and then, David, you'll add. So there is a contingency within the EHR budget itself. Uh, the, I want to clarify, though, mm -hmm. that Next year, over the course of next year, we're not going to implement an electronic health record system. We're going to, for the first course of the uh, portion of the year, be um, for the first couple of months actually negotiating a contract, right. uh, and then when we do finalize the contract, we we staff up and get ready for this, uh, and then we begin the work. The first phase of the work is what's called design and build. Right. So you'll have staff who are um, uh, called on along with the vendor who, who we select to to work to design and build the system. The the the. Um, the contingencies and things that you're talking about that way come when you actually go to the go live portion. So that's an 1819 event, not a 17. It starts event. in in 1819. That's okay. correct. It'd be fiscal year 19 or fiscal year 20. Correct. Uh, then what are these? This, what is this for? So again, the first part is the backfill of staff who will be involved in the design and the build work. So there's staff who actually have to work with the vendor to actually design the system to work within our within our system, and as they are involved in that, so both clinical and IT and finance staff uh, are working with those vendors, there's someone who has to do the work that they currently do. Their work will be capitalized in the project, so it's not an operating expense for this year, but the people who backfill them are operating expenses for this year. The second part of this is the, the clinical standardization piece, yeah. or is that right? So, so the clinical standardization, just uh, um, uh, to clarify, is there is a body of work that has to happen before you even go into design and building an EHR that is in preparation for actually doing something that makes sense across your entirety, uh, the entirety of your system. So it's kind of looking at, you know, uh, what will be your process by which you'll decide, you know, what counts as a visit, what is a uh, process or flow for a patient getting a cardiology service on an inpatient service or something that happens in a post-acute setting. So you have to come up with and design a process and a group of stakeholders who are actually uh, going to be those people who drive those process flows that then feed into the design and build of the system itself. So so that work involves pulling people out to actually uh, uh, participate in that and actually bringing on a consultant who does that type of work to actually partner with us to get that ready for the design and build of the electronic health record. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, just more simply, just thinking about the, the formulary, the pharmacy formulary is yes. different at the three acute care hospitals, the lab compendium, so that what you can order from the lab is different across three hospitals. Radiology is the same, therapies is the same. So they're different across our three acute facilities. So the, a lot of the idea of this work is standardizing to what would that be. So when we build the system, we have one set of lab orders to put in all systems, in the system for all facilities. Okay. Question. Yes. Um, it, it doesn't need to be addressed today, but okay. at some point I'd love to hear how are we um, managing this particular contract so that there's no cost overruns? Um, there tends to be unexpected, you know, uh, findings and so on. Uh, but being someone that has to sign contracts, sometimes we have to, as a contractor, be the one to bear those costs. Yes. It's our fault. And I'd like to make sure that we're not looking at another million dollars somewhere down the road in this particular one because it's so complex. Yes. So, so to be clear, the entirety of the EHR will be 
way more than what you see here. This is just the, the, the build up. As you say, if we're only a million off. That's right. <laughs> actually, I'll pay I, I was going to say, gonna that, go that I'll, well, I shouldn't even actually go on record saying I'll eat anything. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, and nonetheless, uh, what you will hear, obviously, is when we, so the sequence as it's laid out now is uh, actually in the next board meeting, uh, we will have made a vendor decision, which is of a leading vendor who, to whom we will, with our uh, um, uh, external counsel, go into a contracting negotiation phase. Um, when we come forward to you in October November. or November-ish uh, with that contract proposal, that's when we will have addressed all of the questions around how are we jointly going to partner with them to look at how we're going to deliver this project on time, on budget, how do we deal with disputes of, you know, the likely it's, things I, that I'm are not, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not understanding the sequence of this. So if you if you enter into a negotiation with a vendor mm -hmm. but you haven't gotten board approval for the amount of money to put in to negotiate it, it am i miss did we no no you haven't so, you, so you, how don't you need to come to us uh, and i'm not i no, mean no. i'm not trying to do hierarchy sure. here and oh sure. my goodness we yeah. know we're going to commit to this so yeah. i i don't want to no i get it i'm just trying to figure out the so, process that you all so so because <laughs> this is partly an, an artifact of actually being a public agency but but if we were to come to you to get budget authority for a, a, a the, the budget itself I, I suppose we could do it in, 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 close, in close session, session yes, if that can. was a piece I don't I, well Mike is nodding his head no but but the, the point is actually we don't we we, we will have a general sense of what this will be based off of uh, proposals that have been put forward to us uh, but there will be a, a fair amount of back and forth between us and the entity and before we sign off on a contract what we'll be coming forward to you saying is uh, and we're, we're coming to you earlier to say here's who we're going to be talking to but the net effect of why we're telling you a lead vendor versus an actual vendor is we are acknowledging the fact that things could break down in negotiations and we could end up going to the other vendor and actually having a discussion with them and coming forward with that did not work out now we have another vendor and so uh, we're coming forward with a contract that's changed by virtue of the nature of the complexity of these negotiations. And so, I want to, I want to remind no, you, and I mean not you. I want to remind our, our, my fellow members. That's why we had you bring on this expert uh, RFP developer. I can't remember his name, yeah, but yeah. he sure seemed. Uh, I know. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So what we did was an IT strategic The whole plan. idea is that the RFP itself is written in such a way that we don't have those, you know, the, the missing steering wheel on the car. You know, the, you know, we didn't ask for it, so they didn't bill it. You know, and so then we find yeah. out, oh, the car didn't come with a steering wheel. That that cost more. Yeah. That's why we hired him. Yeah, but that wasn't that that wasn't my. I appreciate that. Thank you. But um, I'm trying to understand the budgetary process, mm -hmm. particularly relative to the idea of next year. Mm -hmm when we put out the big bucks, mm -hmm. how what you're doing this year and where we are with the revenue, where we're going to get that big amount of money to put forward to do... So the big amount of money is, is going to be capitalized. So what that means is obviously we have to have the cash to put forward, which we will identify how we're going to fund that with the various uh, cash resources that we have. But it's actually not going to impact the operating budget because uh, until it starts to 
you start once to it starts to amortize, it amortize will. then it will. Right. But it's in not going to amortize way. in this year. No, no, I knew it wouldn't in this year. But do we, are you anticipating, you don't have to say it here, but is there an anticipation of the amortization Oh, yeah. No, I, I will say it here. Uh, the, answer, the answer is yes. Okay. So, yeah, so if you go to the capital budget here, and you go down to EM, EMR, uh, where is it? Here. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. I remember now. Yes, there you go. yes, 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 yes. So yeah, we will expect amortization to occur mm -hmm. over, over the course of several years. Uh, this is uh, just a rough, this is not a, like, I won't be clear, this was our projection. Uh, uh, as of the IT strategic plan, so this is not a number of what we expect the EHR to cost, and this is not, let me be clear, the EHR contract will not just be the product itself and the work around it, it'll be um, the, what is called the total cost of ownership, so it'll be the net pluses and minuses of, you bring this system, this system has all these different features, we have current legacy systems that we use that we'd expect to sunset, uh, there are other additional sort of things, there's a lot of pluses and minuses, and then uh, just on the, um, the cost of the uh, EHR itself, we, you see the second line here is EMR negotiated adjustment. So, so we expect that a vendor will give us, and, and they have given us contracts of what this would look like over three year, five year, seven year. And then we work with them to say, can we come up with a different financing arrangement? And so uh, that's some of what you see uh, reflected here as well. That's it. So well, that's I was actually we'll thinking about what Trustee Hernandez had raised about cost overruns. That, that's what I was referring to for Lidos. I see. Lidos. It was Lidos. We'll see if that works. It's brilliant if it works. Okay. I hired Goldman Sachs. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, sir. Where do you want me to go? Critical initiatives. I'm there. Can I assume, and sorry, I'm a That's community okay. banker, which means not so bright, um, that if, unless it's noted, there is no upside revenue impact from any of these initiatives? Uh, no. So, fair point. So, why would we do lean? I mean, GE did lean to save $2 billion on expenses. Why would we do a lean? Exercise without some operational efficiencies that have a dollar attached to them. No, there, 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 is there is revenue associated with them. So, so a couple of these Where I want to be clear. It? We're 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 calling out the lean uh, work <laughs> because the lean work is uh, a sort of a. Um, I call it like a, a philosophical thing that we've talked about in our strategic yeah. plan and what we want to do. But this lean work is not a separate endeavor in and of itself. It is actually connected to all of these different initiatives uh, up here. So this will be the infrastructure of people who will help us to do the performance improvement work related to the e and the project management work uh, related to the EHR clinical standardization, related to the waiver efforts, related to health pack efforts. So, so the revenue uh, is actually tied into our ability to deliver on the delivery that are connected here based off of the work that those people help us to do with the providers on the uh, on, on the, the delivery side of the uh, of the of the ledger as a client. Does that make sense? No. It does not. Okay. Um, let me try this differently. So each one of these initiatives have a baseline, they have a intervention, and they have a final state. Right. The intervention in involves work that is around redesigning how we deliver care, redesigning how we uh, capture and report that care, redesigning processes, as it were, across our organization. Uh, the people who are doing that work are 
are uh, the sort of the arbiters of the knowledge of, of, of what we do. They're not always the arbiters of the performance improvement part of the, you know, how do I take what I'm doing and get to where I want to be? So you take fac facilitators, and historically as an organization, and still in the future, but historically we would um, more exclusively rely on consultants to come in and help us figure that out, and then uh, work with the folks to actually make those improvements and then generate the results. This is, in effect, our, our effort and our plan to build in our internal capability to do that work ourselves. And so these individuals will help, and this year will be focused on these initiatives, uh, that same sort of improvement um, um, uh, skills, um, then will be deployed as we go forward as an organization in all the other different types of initiatives that we will take on. So, Don't most uh, entities invite a consultant to establish the groundworks for lean and then take existing people to coordinate the effort? I mean, we're hiring extra people to implement. So they do two things. So they bring in a, a, a they'll bring in a consultant or in some cases they actually call it a sensei uh, uh, to actually help them to, dis to establish a structure to teach people the principles of lean. Uh, but they also uh, take you the best practice of in order to maintain the lean infrastructure in your organization, you actually have to create an office in your organization that does that work on an ongoing basis. So it doesn't actually sort of perpetuate itself on its own because there's a lot of turnover in organizations. There's not necessarily the, the will or the impetus at the end user end to always push harder uh, or to feel like they can do that while maintaining things as they currently are. So you have to create an infrastructure that basically is the surrogate for that entity. So two other places where I've done this, you bring in a consultant because you don't have that knowledge uh, to begin with. Uh, they then help you both build the team and then have the practical knowledge. And the, the nature of their arrangements are as they scale back, you build up. We're not doing it that way, actually. We're not going to bring in a consultant to help us because we hired a VP of System Transformation this year who's quite steeped in this. She's actually quite great at it. And, uh, I want to share some of the success stories, but I don't want to steal Louisa's other, and I think we're going to do this in a, in, a, in a later thing. But let me just say, um, with her and two other resources, which were basically the skeleton of what we have remaining from when we did this years ago, they have really taken the organization and the few initiatives where they work and made some significant improvements in those areas. So, so our thrust here is to further enable that, not to do what is typically the case with a consultant, which is like you just come in and do kind of right. robust education and training. Yeah, you get a book and a tape and a bill. There you yeah. go. Uh, actually use a, a lot of big binders. Uh, they're very pretty. Uh, I can still have them in my office, um, uh, and I stole them from the other organizations. I said that publicly. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, we're not doing it that way. We have someone who's going to do this, and it's very practically driven. It is bringing people to focus exactly on what we want to do, zero in on it, until we do that, and then we move on to something else. And, and there is an element, I want to acknowledge, though, there is an element that we have always maintained in the organization of, of end-user training throughout the organization. So, so we do empower and enable people to do smaller skill projects that don't require the resources of a lean shop to help them, but they can take those lean principles and apply them on that day-to-day work. Uh, as well, but that's a small component relative to the actual work. And, and going back two and a half years ago, when you were going through an interview process, every candidate that came through, and we asked the interview team asked to make certain that they had a commitment to lean. Yes. So this is not new for the organization. There was, in fact, you were hired because you had that commitment. So. Yes. I should. And I hired a couple of other people because they also have that. Yeah. So that this is that lean issue is not is not a 
right. is not foreign. But I want to say we did, and I, I had to do a gut check myself because I kept forgetting. They kept telling me, and I kept forgetting. But but this was uh, to again to your uh, point about you know were we taking on too much? We were actually considering cutting this when we thought it was on top of everything else. But then we were reminded, no, 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 this is the driver for all this. Foundation. Things, so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I have an operational question about yes. the budget. Budget one. So oh, the, sorry. The, I'm sorry. The, the lean uh, that, that the operationally is going to be scaled slowly, it's starting at the, in the ambulatory and then going or it's system-wide it's, going to be rolled out? It's system-wide. So there are some smaller scale activities happening in areas like uh, surgical services and the emergency room with that, you know, that, that mighty team of three people right now. Um, with these efforts, the clinical standardization is in ancillary areas, is in some sort of acute areas, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if it's in post-acute as well, but, but it's across the organization. The waiver activities are across the organization as well, mostly in ambulatory, to be clear, and health packs similarly, I think. Well, no, it's sort of across the, across so the organization across as well. Most, okay. Yeah. All right. This is in each place. Is that fair? Yeah. I'm looking to my folks to yeah. keep me honest here. Yes? Two questions. On here, you list FGEs associated with each initiative, yes. and then the cost, the total expense, it just it doesn't match up to me. The, the expense is not the FGE expense; it's non-labor. So, so there is no, no, the total expense. So, under, for example, operational excellence lean, you have ten yeah. FGEs, and a total expense eight eighty. That's eighty-four thousand per. That just doesn't sound like enough unless you're really paying people peanuts. Does that include benefits? And that certainly yeah, wouldn't include benefits. Oh, that's There's right. no way to uh, Isn't that the point that, that we just made? That these are these ten FTEs aren't all in. They're all spread out. They're just supporting me. Well, then they're not FTEs. No, no, no. I, I they, they, they are FTEs. They may be FTEs, but they're they're their whole job is not dedicated to lean, and therefore, if 20% of their time is dedicated no, to no, lean. No, no, no. I think they're all dedicated to lean. They, they are dedicated to lean, yes. I'm, I'm looking to Luis uh, or... But I noticed that all the way down. None of these FTEs, to me, match the... If you do the math, it just seems like they're... You're not reflecting the true cost. So the total, actually, the total expense is all of it. Uh, but uh, what isn't reflected on here, in some cases, is if there is some revenue offset associated with it. So it's sort of the oh, net. Okay. It's a net oh, expense. Uh, but that's what I've been no, asking for for three meetings to know how the revenue right, offset. Is. If this, if you have right? 10 people if you say that, if the reason right, 10 people wind up $844,000, obviously with benefits, there's no way they'd be $84,000 per person. No, I agree. Uh, but I, I, I actually I don't know. I mean, let me. Well, I, I do know, I do know that. Well, so, so that number doesn't include benefits. So this number here of the FTEs we did not include the benefits in that number. Well, so, it, you have to include total cost of an FTE. You can't. It's forty percent more if you, you add benefits to any of these people. can't just the salary. You have to include total. Total cost of an FTE. Oh, that's right. So we can make that adjustment. We can sure. clean this up. In the budget, in the performer, in the budgeting statement, everything's included. But Here, if we, we can't see it on this paper that's been presented to us three right. times, Luis, it's really difficult. Correct. So we will, we will make sure we make those adjustments to that. You're absolutely right. Good catch. Okay. It's just I'd like to know the real cost. And, and then my, my, my follow-up <laughs> question is... Uh, I just don't believe when I see the words no budget impact. And so with health pack, you actually mentioned things that sound like my cup of tea, you right. know, hep, uh, hep C and buprenorphine and 
you know, really quality things to help the population that we serve. And I, you're saying the county's funding all of that. Is that is that why there's no? Yeah, budget? what we're saying is there's there's this is all funded through. So the, so the, the the funding comes from the county. Uh, we are not actually experiencing any uh, uh, expense. Uh, um, uh, reductions or expense, expenses in and of itself from, from us to do this work. Uh, but it is, I mean, I, I, I actually agree with you uh, that the point that no budget impact is not the right way to describe this. There's actually a favorable uh, budget impact to the work overall, and so we, could, we, can, we can adjust that. Yeah, I would actually love to see what amount of funding is coming from the county to support these programs so you, you just will, so I understand the scale so you'll uh, see the total amount later but but okay. I can we can we can okay. we can fix this to address that thank you for that okay uh, I'll keep going unless there are other questions obviously stop me as you as you will um, so summary financial plan so uh, I want to take a second to talk about this so what um, what we're forecasting here, we focus in on kind of this, this uh, uh, box here, which is where we're projecting to land this year and then where we're uh, forecasting for the budget for, for next year. So uh, this year, if you look at, I'm looking at the second row here, so the EBITDA margin, uh, we're expecting to land at 6.5% this year. Uh, um, and then next year, um, right now, we're still at four. And we'll go into detail of why that's still at four, although there's some adjustments therein. Uh, and then to uh, some points earlier, we had some kind of miscommunications or, or um, inconsistencies in what we were saying. Uh, we are forecasting that the expectation is has not changed in terms of the sort of trajectory for the organization that we do still believe based off of our, our working capital debt as well as our capital expenses that we want to get back up to 6%. So this year, we know that the expense growth is on, on as a total higher than the revenue growth, uh, but we expect that in subsequent years that will not be the case. I'll talk a little bit uh, in, I think, the next slide as to why we believe that to be uh, uh, so, um, uh, but this is, this is where we're headed. Now, there was a point that uh, historically, and Trustee Thompson, you brought this up, that, that when we did the uh, long-range financial plan with um, Kaufman Hall, that there was a, uh, a recommendation and a suggestion that as uh, an organization that is uh, dealing with the amount of debt that we had at, at the time with the county that we were in, uh, as many of the trustees will call an extension of the uh, permanent agreement that we had defaulted on, um, uh, and that we were anticipating a plan that we would come all the way down to uh, zero, and that we needed to do that in a reasonable time period, which was at that time unknown, uh, that we would actually um, uh, need uh, as well as our capital needs, and we anticipated a, a very high sort of capital need for the organization in the out years, uh, that we would need to maintain an EBITDA margin in the 8% range. 8 to 10. Um, so we couldn't find the, the 10, but I know you said that. And that's fair, but, uh, but what we found was, was uh, um, 6, 7, 8, and then that it stabilized at 8. But either way, um, um, it was higher than it is for this year. I am uh, making the case that um, uh, for various reasons uh, to move us along with our strategic plan and for the fact that we actually have uh, a, uh, a somewhat fortuitous situation that I don't intend to uh, overly lean on with respect to our reconciliations, which were much higher than we expected by double, uh, uh, that we're, we're reconciliations of what? the reconciliation of the AB85 and see the cost. Yes. So, so uh, significantly putting us well below where we're expected to be on the permanent agreement by 2030. So we're well ahead of that, that schedule. 
uh, that we need to make some investments now when we have that opportunity not to be aggressive and not to be uh, uh, overly um, um, optimistic, but make some investments now so that we can move our strategic plan along and get to population health management and, and as reasonable a time as possible. Why is there a positive number under EMR negotiated adjustment? Uh, because that will reflect then if we are able to do financing with the vendor to push the charges out uh, longer than what may be in an initial contract. So, so it is, you know, if the contract were, and again, these are projected numbers from the Lidos uh, 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 long-range strategic plan, if there was a $25 million cost that we expected to incur, uh, a negotiated arrangement may say, well, we can only afford to pay 15 of that in this year, so we're going to push that 10 million out and have it CC 20 uh, in the out year, a, a, a number that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So, so it just spreads the cost uh, over a longer period of time. Did I accurately describe that, David? Or do you want to yes. correct that at all? That's correct. Okay. And, and you're spreading the cost out so that you can reach a six EBITDA? Uh, no, 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 just so we can afford it, because this is a cash flow issue here. Right. So, yeah. Well, are, are they giving us $10 million or, or are we paying $10 million? No, the, 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 the cost is the top one. Uh, the the, the uh, negotiated adjustment would be the, the reduction off of what could be a projected cost. So that's a credit, if you were, or uh, a financing arrangement. So we expect well, you still owe it, right? Yes. yes. So then you see it reflected in the out years. And we've had those discussions with the two groups, and they've been amenable to something. It's probably so it's interest-only financing? We've, oh, we haven't got to that point yet, but it's probably going to be a 10-year agreement, and they said they'll look at the 10-year costs and you know, spread it out to meet our needs. P&I every, every year, right? Principal and interest. Um, depending on not, how long it's, it's more complicated out, it than that. It's not like a loan. It's there's going to be a service agreement, Correct. technology agreement. Uh, we haven't we haven't worked out the details yet, but we have a conceptual commitment to stream uh, flatten the cash flow so it's more stable in the building <coughs> rather than. No, that I understand, but I still don't understand yeah. why it's positive. If you buy something for fifty thousand and you amortize it over five years, it's ten thousand dollars a year, which means you'd have a negative ten thousand every year. Well, you need to look at the two together. So line um, seven or 16 is if we just had the cash, here's how much we think we'd have to pay. Yes. Uh, exactly. And then uh, the next one is, uh, but if you make this adjustment, you know, you, you get kind of get a credit in the so bottom and start paying on the back end. Then it, then yeah, it screams like the So it would be a negative 15 for the year. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, first you'd be 15. And then mm -hmm. 20 and then 25. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, thank you, David. Thank you, David. Uh, I lost my train here. Uh, so, so yeah. So, so I'll talk a little bit more about about why why we um, we think that in the current moment that's the direction that um, that we can achieve and will seek to achieve and believe is sustainable for the organization and, and, and ideal for the organization. Uh, so why are, are some of the reasons we, we uh, why and how do we intend to do that? Uh, so uh, we, we, we anticipate that labor expenses, and here I'm talking about um, 
uh, MOU increase rates will will stabilize and normalize in subsequent years. Uh, we anticipate, and, and actually this is my hypothesis that is yet to be uh, uh, fully confirmed, but I anticipate that with a full year of the uh, expense increases um, that we uh, incurred relative to parity, that um, that we're going to see a little bit more of increase in this year than we will in out years uh, relative to our labor contracts. Um, our transformational efforts through the EHR initiative and population health as two examples uh, will create opportunities for us to proactively look at our staffing and our staffing approaches in the out years uh, to align um, sort of the, the root planting and the root uplifting, if you will. So the skills that we'll need, uh, that we currently need in a fee-for-service environment where we're looking at people who submit claims and process claims and process denials and all those sorts of things uh, for fee-for-service um, uh, will be needed less when you are under a capitated arrangement where now you are effectively the managed care entity. What you need more now is people who can do authorizations, who can do denial management from that side of the ledger, who can do patient repatriation, all the other sorts of things you do when you have a capitated rate that's designed to take care of all the needs of patients. So, mm -hmm. so as we progress or project for what we'll need in this space, um, in the future years, we don't anticipate we will have a, a uh, increase in net new staffing to do this. Um, uh, there may be some new staffing, but we expect that our efforts will be around working with our staff and with labor to say what are the skills um, that our current workforce need to be able to do those jobs and what do we need to do in partnership with our labor partners to get those skills so that people can transition along with the organization's transition into those roles. So uh, what you'll see later when we look at revenue, uh, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, expense increases, is that uh, last year we had a, a net, um, I think it's 4.7 increase in wages and benefits and salaries. And this year we're projecting the same amount. Next year we we can't have that. I don't think we can sustain that amount. So next year I expect that we're going to both as that that one is one example, a large example of taking a significant amount of staff and looking at how do we retrain, redevelop them to do this different uh, this different work rather than hiring all new staff and then uh, having the problem of mm -hmm. how do we. Um, uh, deal with staff whose skills are, uh, are not uh, suited for the work that we have to be going for. Another example of that is in, uh, is in the EHR. It's a little less so. It is, in fact, I want to be completely transparent, and it will be in the EHR budget, uh, that there are significant uh, labor costs associated with maintaining these very robust EHRs. Uh, um, uh, but, but one of the trade-offs that we uh, will expect when we're in a fully integrated EHR is there are a couple of legacy systems that we have with interfaces that we have to maintain around all the different things that we do now, that both the cost for those um, softwares and maintenance and licensing and all that sort of things will go away. Uh, similarly, the people who do that work to maintain it for us, those skills we need to transfer into the skills that are related to now maintaining this new HR, so that while we will need, we will likely need new staffing here, it won't all be net new staffing. There will be some opportunity for us to take staff with existing skills, similarly, make sure that their training and their skills are, are compatible with a new system and, and keep them going in the organization from that vantage point. So that, that is the effort we'll be over, uh, undergoing a, a fair amount of in this year in anticipation for what will uh, uh, transpire in uh, certainly the next year's budget and, and perhaps subsequent years after that. Yes? With regard to both managed care and EHR, uh, then maybe you're, you're, you're underestimating the FTE savings because I as you mentioned, with managed care, there's going to be a lot more attention and um, 
and focus on capitation and on that type of billing on approvals of uh, versus just um, fee for service uh, approval denial if the service was provided and there's a different set skill set etc mm -hmm. so are, are we going to retain everyone or, or not everyone are we going to retain all of the the FTE program areas that are focused on fee for service and then just add another complete program area of managed care although no, as no, you no, point out we're, we're kind of um, migrating towards managed care so I would Correct. expect that we would that the 11 or 15.5 managed care FTEs that's going to come on top of the the whole billing department or whatever the FTEs are for um, uh, I want to be clear. So, so the 15.5, uh, those aren't those aren't billing staff. Those are actually care management. You'll see it a little bit later. Those are social workers and others, uh, uh, people who help with the care continuum. Uh, when I was talking about what I was talking about earlier was what happens, and they will have some impact in, in managed care as well. That's slightly different than than what it is. So that's more like repatriating patients. It's also doing more care management to keep people out of the hospital and other right. stuff and your managed care context. I'm talking about finance staff uh, primarily who are doing billing and claims denial and other things that that now will have work uh, that's differently uh, situated and has different skill sets under a managed care construct. So the short answer is I. We don't know at this point whether it will be, you know, a net neutral, net increase, or net reduction. The point is, it, it presents a significant opportunity for us to not have a significant spike in employees uh, uh, that is all net new in subsequent years, like um, a fair amount of it is for this year. Are we going to bill for service using the EHR once it's installed? Will we bill for service? Or is that still Sorian? No, we haven't made that decision. Okay, oh, we're still not reaching 100% compliance with our existing charge capture system. So I'm just worried about operational impacts if we go to a different one when the one that we're using isn't totally being utilized. Thank you for your worry. We share it. I know you do. Uh, I'm not stating we share it under any construct, though. Yeah, it's it, it, the, the the existing mm -hmm. one or, or or a new one. So there 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 will be opportunities under under under. under and, and similarly, I, my my question with regard to fee for service versus managed care. Mm -hmm. um, financial department at whether there's going to be a, a, a net cost when, as we shift towards managed care a net cost due to more FTEs but um, as well as the you mentioned the EHR I um, you mentioned that there will be a, additional costs associated with migrating the existing systems to the new AHR it's, and um, to maintaining a new, a new system right but won't there be savings as we reduce the amount of as we become more yes. effective yes. and yes. we reduce the amount of, of mistakes or we increase our revenue because we're actually Every billing for the appropriate the selling point. Yes. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, I, 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 I tried to say that. I apologize if that didn't come through, but yes. That's what I yeah, exactly. But I don't think you can project what that is going to be, so Correct. it's not in there. This point we, is know, not there. we know that the efficiencies in an organization improve, improve it, and as a result, we'll probably bring in revenue and maintain the effectiveness of our expenses. So Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, but you. you but we can't. don't know that. Yet. No, that's right. But, but that's don't. part of the discussion that's and right. the approach that we'll be taking in such. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'm trying to convey here. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't want to suggest right now that we know the exact numbers. No, we've done, you can't but, possibly. But, know. but 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 that will be the effort we will undertake, and we'll. Well, know that I mean, I think what 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 has concerned me from finance committee to here is the these 
the numbers of, oh, we'll need FTEs this for this and this many FTEs and, you know, two or three or four hundred, when I would anticipate that the, the transition of, to these new programs and the elimination of existing programs would allow for uh, the shifting of FTEs rather than just yes, but those the additional things, positions. So the things you're talking about, though, those things don't happen in this year. Those things happen in, in the... But the 246 No, I'm talking FTEs. about the opportunities that you're talking about. Uh, those happen in the subsequent years. The, like the EHR and the pop health one, the transition to, to uh, uh, capitation, that's not going to happen this year. So we're trying to we're going to be thinking about it this year so that we're ready for the impact that it will have next year. But I'll but talk. We're making an investment this year in FTEs for those programs. Uh, for the critical initiatives, no, they're they're not. They're, I guess in some ways you can say there are some investments related to that, but these are these are largely different than these two big things that I'm talking about right now. The question that, that and along with what Tracy says, is how many FTEs do you anticipate coming into the organization this coming year and that you have budgeted for? So and, it, and because you talked about the the nurse, you know, the, mm -hmm. our bed, mm -hmm. the overtime, et cetera. So how, how, what was that number? So let me... I'm, I, I, I can skip ahead, or I think we're going to do pretty good granularity there. when we get there. So if, if I could, if we could uh, just put a if pin we, on that one. Okay. And then if I don't answer your question, please let me know. But I think we have a lot of slides that break it down into Shut a couple up, of different show. ways. So. No, no, not no, at all. I, I, but I well, we heard you because you've asked this question a couple of times, and, and we wanted to get you more details. So, okay. so we've attempted to do that. So thank you for that. Uh, I'll move. I'll, I'll keep us moving along. I'll just point out one other thing. So one other thing that we're going to be doing is, uh, and as I've said to a couple of you, uh, we had some challenges this year with respect to our position control. Uh, we had to spend a fair amount of time in the uh, budgeting process, sort of aligning things and tightening that up a little bit. Uh, now we're going to leverage that effort to really implement and utilize uh, uh, much more in real time the position control to manage all of our positions. So it's not just the critical positions and the new ones as I'll, I'll lay out to you, but uh, we have a we have a set of vacancies that you'll see that we have now. We have the new roles that we're adding on, and as those positions come forward to um, uh, uh, be requested to be filled, we will be working with people to say, do you really need that? Why do you need that? Eventually, what we don't have right now, uh, to any degree that we're comfortable, is a robust benchmarking at a unit level to be able to say, you know, are we at optimal productivity or do we have some opportunity there? But that is an effort we will undertake this year so that then that will inform our ability to actually uh, reasonably release and fill positions that we think are going to be associated with the work that's being done, and that will keep us in line as a fiscally sustainable and responsible organization. And, and do you keep the dollars in the vacant positions behind the position? Behind the position? Uh, yes. So the, the vacant positions are budgeted, uh, uh, just as the uh, obviously the full the filled positions are. And so, if a vacant uh, and budgeted position isn't filled, then that results in salary savings. The organization. Does that answer your question? Yes, I just don't know how long you you hold it. I mean, it's a good place to. No, never mind. I, yeah, like I you get have seven hundred plus vacant positions, and then you're going up to three seventy nine. Yes, I wish it was that many, but it's not. But but yes, it's, it is over a hundred. So I'll, I'll we'll show you that. Okay. 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 
I'll keep moving. So now this just reflects in what what would happen if um, we made, we maintain what I've described for you, which is four percent this year, five percent next year, and then back at six percent in the out years mm-hmm. going through 2022. What you see is we stay significantly below uh, the net negative balance forecast, which I'll right. remind you by 2030. So additional eight years beyond this goes down to 50 million and stays there. So this um, this is a sort of a neutral uh, budget, meaning it's considered, it's uh, based off of a notion that all other things remain uh, um, uh, the same, meaning that from a capital perspective, we don't add anything to this. Uh, so the big initiatives, obviously EMR, uh, San Leandro Rehab, Alameda Hospital Kitchen. Um, there's actually, as I note, uh, John George uh, expansion is on here, but there are no dollars associated with it, and there was a reason for that. Uh, that still is the case. Um, we will, uh, as I mentioned in a prior uh, discussion, come back to you all in the fall and have some discussion around this plan to say, you know, is there a new knowledge based off of any of these things that we should be thinking about that would have an impact on this? But as it stands right now, uh, achieving and performing in the way in which we've described keeps us very fiscally responsible as an organization, uh, gives us uh, plenty of, of room to uh, remain in compliance with the, the, uh, negative, the net negative balance agreements uh, with the county. Okay? Uh, so now I'm going to go into the operating budget in detail here. So the first one is just a summary, and so you'll see, uh, and then uh, in subsequent slides we'll go through detail, but you'll see a couple of things that uh, were um, uh, sort of highlights of our discussion in Finance Committee, and we'll, as I said, go into detail later. So there's a, a gross patient service revenue uh, increase uh, projected of 11.9%, uh, which is uh, about double, I think, of what it is this year. Uh, we'll talk about why we think that's the case. Uh, the net patient services, which is when you take into consideration both uh, the deductions from revenue, which is contractuals and other uh, allowances, and then the health pack contract, which I'll point out actually um, goes down uh, uh, from uh, from this year to next year, and I'll tell you a few reasons why that occurs. That we're talking about an 8.5% increase in net patient revenue uh, for next year. Uh, when you look at supplementals, it's relatively flat but slightly down. Um, uh, there are a couple of reasons for that, but one of the big drivers is the waiver, um, the opportunity for GPP while we're projecting getting all of it. It goes down a little bit. We'll talk about that in the revenue slide. Uh, uh, and uh, there's, um, we are having a conservative projection as it relates to Prime because there are a lot more metrics going from paper reporting to paper performance. So there is some opportunity to get some additional increase there, but we are conservatively not projecting to get all of the available funding and Prime for, for, for next year. Anyway, the net effect is a negative 1.5% reduction under supplemental revenue for a total net operating revenue uh, change of 5.2%. That 5.2% compares to a 7 and is that 7.5 or 7.9? I can't see it. 7.9% uh, percent increase in operating expenses, which is uh, above that for those who are following at home. Um, uh, so that's that's high, and that's not what you want to do consistently as any organization. So we'll talk about why that is this case, and I talked about why I think it uh, uh, is that this year is a bit of an operation, but one that we can uh, manage within this sort of broader context of our, our, of our financial status. Um, and then, and so I'll go into detail in a breakdown of both the revenue and operating. Uh, before I do that, I'll do some uh, some trends uh, uh, to show you. Uh, so revenue and expenses. So this just shows you 
over the last uh, three years, projected for next year then, uh, uh, what the re what's happening with our revenue. So you can see we've had a bit of a, 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 margin, or a margin between the two. This represents about uh, the 6% EBITDA that we've been able to attain for the organization, which comes very close uh, this year because expenses are growing more, uh, still lower. So that's why we have about a 4% margin uh, for this year versus in the uh, last year and the year before. Uh, labor costs is a uh, percentage of net revenue. You'll see uh, was at its high, at least in this uh, time frame, in 2015. And while it's creeping back up uh, uh, in the last uh, two years, uh, or this year and projected for next year, a little bit more, uh, less of an increase from um, from projected this year to, to, or next year to this year than it was from this year to last year, but still um, um, uh, below where it was uh, four years ago or three years ago. Uh, but we'll be working on that uh, and monitoring that. And I want to say for each of these, uh, because it'll come up in other cases, um, we, when I talk about looking at benchmarks, we're going to be uh, finding benchmarks that are at the unit level. The reason why we'll do that is because at a system level, uh, it's difficult for us to find uh, good comparators because, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of unique things about us. A peer mix is not so unique when you look at safety net organizations. However, the, um, the service mix is. The, the amount of uh, post-acute services we have, behavioral health in some cases, uh, uh, not so much ambulatory and acute, make us a bit of an outlier and not, not a good um, um, sort of natural comparator to our partners on an aggregate basis, whereas in the uh, business unit uh, basis, uh, we, we can do that a little bit more easily. Uh, FTE per AOB, whoops, sorry, FTE per AOB, you see what the trend is, uh, so an increase, uh, uh, a larger increase uh, from this year to last, which effectively got us back up to where we were in 15, and then a, a, a you know, half percent, or, or a, a tenth of a percent increase um, uh, over next year, so overall it ends up being somewhat flat when you just look at FTE per adjusted occupied bed on the aggregate basis. Um, labor costs, so this just shows you two things. So one, it shows you the salary, wages, and benefits. So you see that that is, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more uh, when we go into the expense side. This is the, the meat of the order, if you will, where the, uh, the, cost, the, uh, the cost growth is highest. Um, uh, but that's showing you what it looks like over the course of the last uh, three years and including the last year. Um, a couple of times just ignore 14 and 15 because the big outlier there is acquisition of the two facilities so you see big spikes there that's because we brought in two other organizations but but the other uh, has been the stabilization and, and the experience since then and then the FTEs uh, is the uh, the line part of the graph there um, which is the FTE per AOB which is what you saw here the, uh, that goes up back up to 4.8 4 this year and 4.9 next year hmm? okay can I just ask, yes. because for years it was much higher than in the fours. It, um, why that was? Why it came down, at what what happened to make it so low? Ah, uh, probably. Thank you. We'll do it. Alright. What's SWB again? Uh, salaries, wages, and benefits. Oh, thank Sorry. Um, I was going to try to come up with something cheap, but I couldn't. Uh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I try as I might. Um, okay, so let's go to the volume. Uh, these are a few statistics. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you did. Um, salary wage and the benefits. So uh, you can see that, or I'm sorry, um, uh, volume statistics. So, so what are the significant things to point out here? So. 
uh, a change in patient days. So the patient days is 3.6% uh, projected for the year. Uh, the average daily census uh, relatively flat, uh, but still represents a 4% uh, a uh, uh, change uh, year over year. Uh, discharges uh, go up a little bit more to 5.1%. Uh, deliveries actually stabilizes. And uh, you'll note that you know since we opened the building, which is great, we had about a 20 plus percent increase from 16 to 17 in our deliveries. We expect to sustain that, but only increase it a little bit uh, over the next year, and that's largely because this was a result of a very concerted effort. You'll recall all the outreach that we did and, um, uh, as, as we uh, opened up the building and reached out to our partners and actually uh, reached within to our own uh, patients who were taken care of prenatally to um, uh, make sure that they knew about the building and, and saw it as the opportunity that it was, the investment that it was from the county uh, to re present this great space. So we expect to keep that going, but um, uh, don't, don't anticipate a significant, um, uh, as significant a growth in the next years. Uh, surgery kind of um, relatively flat, one, almost a 1% increase. Emergency room visits, again, also relatively flat. And then clinic visits, 4.5% uh, increase. Uh, and that's uh, somewhat consistent with what it was from uh, this year to um, uh, projected um, uh, for, for the year. So uh, we, if you recall from the goals, set this to be about 5% increase. Uh, we're hoping to get there. And I want to say this is traditional visits, so we, just so we make the distinction between what we have been doing, because you know, a very uh, concerted effort to do non-traditional visits, um, and that we go into in a little bit in the, in the bottom slide here, so, or the bottom part of the slide. So, so what we're reflecting here is, uh, comes from our, uh, our uh, data analytics uh, system called K2, uh, and uh, we showed the number of visits that are that would count as non-traditional and do for our GPP program, our health education visits, or where we're just doing health education with patients, not necessarily clinical services, and there's only visits here. Um, this uh, point, in fact, this number, uh, we haven't had the time to uh, uh, sort of uh, do the cross-matching with this and this visit, but we do know that some of these visits do involve a registration, and, and to the extent that they do involve a registration, they actually are captured in our traditional visit uh, um, uh, totals as well, but not all of them are. So, so, so that's that one thing, and then you see proposed, we haven't put anything here because there's not necessarily a, um, a revenue impact associated with these, but certainly as we move towards population health, they have a big expense savings opportunity for us, and hence the reason why we're building our skills in this space and our capacity in this space. Same thing with uh, phone calls. We're actually, as you know, launching the effort or have launched the effort to segregate, not to, uh, you know, telephone calls to meaningful telephone calls, if you will. And so uh, that's what the number looks like that I've been presenting to you in the uh, dashboard. But uh, we're working on looking at what the actual sort of opportunity is in this space. Uh, this just uh, goes into, so of all of this, this is in and outpatient and post-acute and behavioral. Uh, this goes into the ambulatory uh, visits in a little bit more detail, the traditional visits. So you'll see, again, the 306 expected for this year, um, uh, which I, I am, am uh, cautiously optimistic will overperform. What about uh, the Alameda offset clinic? Uh, so you mean there's in the... In the just... Yes, so there's orthopedic clinics, there's the wound... Um, what do we call it, the wound care center. Uh, yeah, and then in next year, there'll be a slight number of those uh, that are associated with, uh, with the uh, primary care. Um, and there's a little bit in these years, but based off of the, the little access that we did have and, and had until it completely closed uh, uh, earlier this year. 
Other than Hayward, why is there such anemic growth in ambulatory? It's the one place that we really need to spike our numbers because they drain a lot from the system. So it's a combination of efforts. Is Paula here? She is not. Um, I want somebody else to speak to this in greater detail. Uh, I will tell you what I can tell you, but 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 there's a there's a, actually there's a really robust uh, effort. Um, I thought maybe you know, they don't, I don't see them looking at me, so maybe they don't want to talk about this. But um, yeah, exactly. What's the rule in school? Don't make eye contact. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if, if Jody or Shwari wanted to speak to this. So so Dr. Barbaria, who's the CAO for Ambulatory took a close look at, over the course of the year, the various initiatives that we'll be undertaking to uh, do our primary care redesign, our specialty care <coughs> redesign, as well as uh, efforts to establish the PCMH at Hayward and a couple of other initiatives at other places and said over the course of the year, uh, some of those will be spikes in uh, uh, volume, some of those will be um, um, reductions in volumes as we stabilize. So we do work that may uh, uh, pull things back a little bit but stabilize and so So the net effect of it was that we expect to have uh, roughly the same amount, again 4.5%, but but that we will experience it in, um, in um, uh, different proportions uh, based off of the work that the Hayward work is around, that's going to be the PCMH model site. And then the Highland work is, I think, mostly driven by specialty volume. Yeah, she did a really nice presentation when she came, but she didn't she didn't finish because we ran out of time. Oh, and so QPSC, we, that's yeah, right. So yeah. we may want to bring her back so that she can uh, uh, let to, to go into detail on this. Yes, uh -huh. absolutely. Thing would be very is this growth acceptable? I'm then? doing a horrible job. Uh, well, right. Is it acceptable? Uh -huh. um, I think given the amount of work that they're going to need to do, um, I think that it's going to take some time for us to move that up. So I would say, okay. yes. yeah, I want to say, yeah. And, then, and, then, and I know that I, I heard the trustee debris was, was quite uh, passionate about this as well. Uh, so I do want to say that there is a great amount of opportunity here uh, for us. Uh, um, not just this is just a tradi traditional visit, but in the non-traditional as well. Certainly, as we move towards. Uh, Capitation. Uh, we will. We're 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 taking the more responsible approach of just doing the PCMH uh, at one site and budgeting for that uh, because we want to see how it's going to go. Uh, uh, and but we do anticipate that it see, will go well. I think and the that emphasis we, of lean would just really be helpful over there. Is and it is. This is one of the areas where they will be working and partnering with her on the implementation of the effort. Freed did a lot of good work on it. Uh, this year on helping us to kind of look at what the opportunity might be, uh, uh, but we're just taking the more measured sort of stepwise approach. At but there's no sense being gr having greater efficiency if you not have, have no patience over which to be efficient, correct? So uh, that would be true if that, uh, correct, if that were true. We do believe, know and believe that we have a lot of opportunities. So, okay. so we go back to our capitated lives. Um, uh, right now, or I'm sorry, not capitated, but our delegated lives. We have lives that are delegated to us who are not assigned to a, uh, um, a specific patient-centered medical home or a specific provider. And right now, when they experience care outside of the system, whether they are seeing a specialist or being hospitalized or getting an emergency room visit, we don't bear the cost of that, the alliance does. Okay. Uh, but as we move towards capitation, we will indeed bear the cost of it. So we want to build the capacity to see more patients and certainly to see them as appropriate in a patient-centered medical home or in a low-tech, or as to say, what is it, high-tech, low-touch way, uh, so that we are actually managing those lives more. I get it. Okay. Thank you. Sure. 
so this is that was ambulatory. This is more acute uh, behavioral and post-acute. Uh, just reflects what we've said. We expect relatively static growth. It's it's basically a breakdown of this one and a little bit more of a graphical uh, depiction. So. Uh, you'll see that the discharges, which is the line, is relatively flat. Uh, the patient days go up uh, slightly, uh, which would explain a slightly higher uh, length of stay, uh, average length of stay across the organization, but, but uh, because of the variation between acute and post-acute, it sort of uh, is, is not uh, a one-to-one -one correlation. So just showing you that there. Uh, now, um, I, I realize I'm probably doing horrible that with the timing, but I want to go into this level of detail. So if I can keep your attention, uh, and you can tell me to speed up if you'd like me to, but, but uh, I will go through as much of this as possible under our time constraints. So Madam Chair, I'll count on you to tell me to uh, wrap it up. Or wrap it up. On. Should I? Really? No. <laughs> I was like, no, we're just, not. where are we, half, a third of the way in? Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll try faster. So, um, so revenue budget. Um, so this is just taking the top part of that um, slide and trying to uh, uh, break it down in a little bit more detail. So there's nothing different in this than what you saw in the overall, but I'm going to talk about some of those things that were like, why, why are we expecting these two move in the way in which we are. And actually, rather than, I'm gonna do this, but I'm gonna actually turn it over to David who can do this more capably than I can. Uh, uh, but do you wanna start with this one or you wanna start with the, the other one? So back to the other one. Okay. So this is very at a high level. Um, <clears throat> we're projecting about a billion, 20 million next year. Um, that is a overall 5% increase in revenue from this year. And that's composed of an 8.5% increase in net patient service revenue, but a 1.5% decrease in supplemental revenue. And that, that trend is going to continue for the next few years as the waiver funding kind of phases out. This is just a graphic depiction of what we're looking at, um, the trend. Let's go to the next one. Uh, and then this is supplemental revenues, and this is showing the, you know, here we are at 17. You can see we peaked in 16, and it's going to kind of start sliding down through 2020. And then this year we really honestly don't know what's going to happen. So what we've done here is we've taken the waiver funding and cut it in half, which is the best estimate. It could be all gone, or it could get replaced by um, the next whoever's present at the time, I, I, we just don't know. So that's the that's the problem is we're looking at going forward, you know, single digit revenue increases, which means we have to keep our expense growth down, down there too. Okay, next one. Okay, we need David, talk a little bit more about why you think you're going to get the 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 increase in re patient revenue. Yeah, well, we're going to do that oh. next. Oh, you're going to do that. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Okay. So just to recap, as you mentioned, eight and a half percent. How are we going to do that? Um, I just covered this point here. So, oh, the thing I'll, I'll just real, real quick on supplemental. We, we've been conservative on Prime, so we've booked 23 million or budgeted 23 million. The opportunity is 32. So, you know, if we can address some issues there, reporting whatever, uh, we can we can do better. So, and, and you know, I've tried to create a budget that we have some opportunity to do better. Okay, but let's and talk this about is where our, our lean resources are also going to be applied, working with. In partnership with those those people, uh, those those entities in the organization to try to get us uh, certainly to where we're contributing budgeting, but also uh, beyond that. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, net patient service revenue that's in PSR. Yeah, it could be aggressive. I think it is achievable. Uh, we have um, ongoing opportunities with revenue cycle improvement. We've we've done a lot. 
you know, and we're getting better and better all the time. Mm -hmm. But we have opportunities. Um, we, um, we're going to increase our rates by about 5%. That's going to yield a few million dollars, maybe four or five million dollars. But we're adding physicians, so that's five million. We're, uh, in, we believe we can improve about 10 million through charge capture. Uh, and we've got this issue of the AB85 reconciliation, which haven't been finalized yet. We have an indication of a number. And, um, you know, I, I tend to book that revenue conservatively because it's not here yet. So for this year, I'm being conservative. If, if that information turns out to be favorable next year and we get the amount that we potentially could get, then we'll book it next year. And that will have an impact on the revenue forecast next year. Um, we've also in here um, included a, a so, reduction. So excuse me. So, I, so I'm processing this. Then that that's our safeguard is what you have done. So that's yeah, yeah. We keep you know some internal reserves, yeah. internal estimates that you know we could get this, but we don't know. Let's book here, and if it resolves favorably, then we can book that revenue. Okay. Are any of the expenses scalable? Are the expenses, what do you mean? The FTEs that you're wanting to bring on board. <clears throat> when you say scalable, you mean, right, you mean can they scale? They're all going to be hit first quarter and we can't get rid of them, no. or you're going to no. decide no. as we go along that no. these are still things we want to pursue based on? Uh, the latter, and that's the part about the, the, um, the position control, and we'll talk a little bit about kind of uh, uh, Trustee Lawrence asked in the last meeting uh, what I thought was a very uh, poignant question, and I answered in a managerial way and not a board way, which is what can you as a board look at as an indicator for how well we're performing relative to this budget and, and get as early as possible some signal that things are either awry or, or okay. Um, and uh, we talked a, a fair amount about this. What we um, sort of settled on as a suggestion, to your point, is uh, we will have a FTE count that's associated with this budget that you will see. Uh, the the income statements and the, the financial reports that you see are always lagging, so you'll see them a month or two behind you know, when we close the books and when we have our meetings. Uh, however, what isn't uh, uh, as as significantly lagging is our um, our paid FTEs, and we know that when after the payroll ends or a couple of days uh, after payroll ends, we will report it. So what we are going to endeavor to do and uh, suggest to you is a good signal for where we how we are managing sort of the scalability. If I understand your question correctly, uh, um, the biggest part of our expense opportunity is you know what the FTE number is for this year, how is that looking if we extrapolate it over the course of the year to what is the actual, as close to real time as possible, uh, so that you'll know and you can say to us, I expect to see what you're doing to bring that back in line because your revenues aren't, aren't, aren't coming in. It sort of helps us in a way to address what I have uh, appreciated more was uh, one of our big challenges this year. So as we kept talking about, you know, how are we getting our registry costs in line, we were doing that based off of the, um, the financial reports. And when we tell you that we are you know, implementing all these different efforts to, um, to hire staff and to reduce our registry use, um, we were doing that at a time where that next month that you're gonna get is already uh, coming. And so as we keep going, and quite honestly, things still didn't uh, quite move as quickly as we hoped they would, 
it's still we've experienced it at that point. So we are, we're we're still playing. We're we're perpetually playing catch up. So now that we have what we think is done a better job of sort of capturing all of that at the offset, we will now know in much more uh, uh, real time where we are where we are versus where we should be and we'll be sharing that with you so you'll still continue to see the financial reports uh, but it's always a lagging indicator right right but that's going to be lagging but we will tell you as of last payroll <coughs> this is the paid FTEs so you'll know what it was uh, you know a week or two after it occurs unless it's one of those weeks where you're off or months where you're off but but uh, where it is then so that you, then you can say you look like you're out of control. What are you doing about it? Uh, and obviously, because we'll be looking at it too, we will have an answer for you. So that's my recommendation, and you can continue. And those to paid FTEs will never include positions they include that are unfilled. Uh, they include so they don't include it if it's unfilled because it doesn't incur a cost. But if we're using registry or contract, yeah, yeah. that falls under. You, yeah. you see that in the paid FTE. So it's that run rate that you'll be looking at. And that run rate is the right thing to compare to the total FTEs that we're budgeting. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, so, Mr. so um, I think it is achievable. Uh, we're all going to have to work together to go after the opportunities. And I'll talk about what those are. Space, space is going to be an issue. I'm working with Luis on addressing that. But we intend to um, uh, bring the staff for uh, Alameda Hospital internally, expand physician billing, which is a big part of the opportunity. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's a couple of areas I can't recall off the top of my head, but, you know, there, there's, that's, a, that's an issue we've got to deal with. Um, are, are you anticipating, in terms of space, we had talked about that second floor, or is that, a, is that an option that you're going to entertain? Oh, we're not, we're, I'm not sure what the options are yet. We've got okay. to talk about it. Okay. Um, okay. Um, I do want to point out that the, um, the cost of running the revenue cycle, which are things like access, revenue integrity, Patient financial services have been relatively flat. They, they were about 20.5 million in 2015. They increased to 25 million due to the turnaround funding. But next year they're down to about uh, it was 21.7. So, as a percent of the total revenue, um, they're down to about three percent, which I think is pretty good, pretty reasonable. And uh, of course, the revenue cycle has been uh, successful. I just want to remind you that back in 2015 it was. 515 million next year we're projecting 705 so that's pretty good uh, next slide please and uh, this is just kind of a summary of the things we're going to go after next year i don't need to go through all of them but basically improve access improve charge capture improve clinical documentation improve care coordination uh, improve physician uh, charge capture and coding and documentation and continue to improve the uh, back-end billing process. Okay. Stop there. Okay. So that's it on the revenue side. So that was both the net patient services mm -hmm. and uh, and supplementals. Any questions about that part? Additional questions? Okay. So then we'll let's hop to the, the below the line. Let's go with uh, labor expenses. So. Um, We've shown you here on this slide uh, two different slices of our labor expenses. So one, uh, the top one is a breakdown by F or by SBU. Uh, actually, so again, this is, I'm sorry, wait, did I skip something here? Uh, we were playing around with how to recognize this. Uh, I thought we had the one slide that showed all of the revenue budget. Well, that's, or I mean the expense budget. We don't, okay, that's okay. So. This is just labor expense, so we're below the line and we're only talking about labor expense here. Um, um, 
there is, if you go back to the, 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 this one, you see the whole, oh, I'm sorry, that one, you see all of the expenses. So you see the 7.9% increase. Uh, I'm going to make a case for you that obviously, if you look at labor expenses here as the 7.4% uh, increase and, and being the biggest part of the, the dollar figures by far, uh, that that's the area where we should zero in on. Um, uh, but it, did, it does also include then when we talk about labor overall, not just salaries and wages, but registry and benefits. Um, uh, so the totality of that represents a, a big portion of the increase. So that's about 48 million of the 72 million for the year. Okay. Um, so let me go back to where it was. Uh, here. Okay. So the labor expenses uh, here, that's at 48. Um, a million dollar increase of that 70 that I was just referencing. So this is kind of where the, where the action is, if you will, and we'll talk about that in more detail. Uh, the next slide, and it breaks it down by the different uh, business units. So you and you're just spreading that. out the, the population health because you couldn't have had that in 2016. That uh, unit didn't exist. Yeah, so uh, we did, but let me tell you why, because the, while the unit, oh wait. So yeah, no, the 2016 is taking basically uh, taking what we know to be the cost centers within Top Health now in all the areas and then uh, reapportioning it uh, retrospectively to what it was for the okay. total number. Okay. So the unit didn't exist, but the, the functions that are on it, which I is like, uh, yeah, you get it, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> all right, so, so that's what that is. And so th this year you see the increase in there and then you see it for each of the business units and this is again, just the wages and benefits. Now, if you break out of the wages and uh, uh, wages registry and benefits, the benefits alone, so you take this 32, the 14 of it uh, is actually benefits. So we're still studying this a little bit more because we want to understand why this is. Because what you'll notice from last year to this year, we actually project a slight decrease in our total benefit uh, experience. Whereas from this year to next year, uh, for reasons that are a little unclear to me, and, and our team is going to look at it, we're expecting a significant increase to between about 14 million uh, that are driven by FICA, uh, that are driven by health and dental, that are driven by uh, retirement benefits. And so we're we're taking a look at this uh, look a bit more closely to understand kind of the uh, fundamentals behind it. But that's that's a significant area of opportunity as we as we finalize this budget and try to figure out what, whether this is is a uh, a fair uh, projection and a sound projection on what we what, what we expect to happen. But right now it's it's I think a bit. Uh, conservative or aggressive on the negative side, but we'll, we'll, we'll look into this a little bit more. I just wanted to call that out. Um, so uh, again, just continuing my point on the, you know, the action is in the in the labor expense. This takes all the non-labor expense trends and shows you what they've looked like year over year. So again, I want to start largely at 15 and look forward because that's where we stabilize as a system. Uh, and you'll see that, you know, in and of themselves, sort of year on year, they are relatively flat um, uh, uh, experiences on the non-labor expenses with the exception of one, and that is contracted position expenses where you see kind of a spike uh, uh, growth there, and uh, uh, we have a little detail later on kind of what, what are some of the underlines behind that, but one of the things is, as David said, uh, we're increasing the number of providers uh, that are tied to opportunities in the organization with respect to physician in Alameda, to uh, services in GI that are uh, a big need across our system. Services in, um, I forget what it is. I was going to say cardiology, but it's not. It's something else. So, so that includes the psych contract that we approved. Yeah. 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 
That's us in PS. Well, yeah. Some, uh -oh. some of those. A little bit in, in psych, not, not, not a ton from this year to next year, but what, I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. The, so that increase includes the care contract that was Yes. Yes, so that also includes some of it. Yeah, sorry, not all of it, but some of it, yes. Uh, but again, the increase in the old care contract is not just like a flat increase. There are FTEs uh, uh, that are related to services that we are asking old care to provide, uh, like hospitalists uh, and more of uh, what they currently provide that also belie this expense increase that is also associated with revenue increases. But again, um, for the most part, you see relatively flat uh, um, uh, performance in the non-labor expenses with that one exception. Some of that might be the new psychiatrist. Uh, a little bit of it, uh, particularly from last year to, or from yeah. this year to next yeah. year. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and point in fact, actually, some of the contractor physician costs, uh, we um, um, new contracts are not completed yet in some of the areas, so we have uh, taken sort of a guess at what we expect kind of from a comparison for what is in the market, uh, what uh, the organization will need. So it's not finalized yet, but it's our, because the budget is our projection for what, what that will be for us over the year. Uh, okay, so the next one uh, goes back. So, so my goal here was to make the case that um, you know, divert your eyes. There's not a lot here. We can come back to the uh, physician contract, but really we want to focus on the FTE uh, experience. So let's talk about this because this starts to get at the, where we put the flag in or the pin in terms of what is happening on the labor cost and the, and the FTE growth. So actual 2016, 3902, growth in terms of this year to 41.42, growth projected for next year 44.63, and net increase of 321. <gasps> Why are you hiring that many people? Let's get into detail for this. Okay, all right. So the 4463, uh, let's start with the 4142 is projected for this year. Um, on top of that, what we did this year was, uh, when I told you about kind of working with the position control, we took the opportunity, when you look at the projected, this is the paid FTE. So this is, is all the money we spent on salary, wage, benefits for, or, yeah. Uh, uh, and which, I, I'm sorry, on the labor force distribution, yes. this is, uh, define that for me. So this is... If is you, this the, the dollar amount, by, or is this oh no, the these are population the, that you have distributed? The FTEs, so these that's are, what, yeah, okay. yeah. That's what I thought. Right, this is, this is FTEs, right, from that dollar, is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. It's percentage of FTEs, not, not percentage of dollars me, in yes. the pie. Got it, Correct. okay. That's what I thought, but okay. just wanted to mix it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because, yeah, no, that would absolutely be the case, because physicians, as a present right, the cost, right, would be right, a lot more. Right, right, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so now let's go into kind of what is happening with those 321. All right, so we took what is our run rate for this year, and that includes like uh, paid FTEs, um, um, which would be people who we paid who are no longer here, people who we just hired who are here now but haven't been here for the full year, but we will experience a full year of them going forward, uh, or potentially uh, going forward, um, uh, and then um, we took that number and said, but we also have this like you know black box of vacancies in the organization that are built into our cost structure or experience structure, uh, and so we want to capture what that is and say what is the total number of a baseline as we go into as we end this year and go into next year. So, 114 of that 321 are the vacancies that we already have in the organization. So, so that gets us to the 4252. So the remaining 200 and and so of the 
FTEs are falling. We've, we've captured them in four buckets that we'll break down into further detail here. So one is uh, contracts to in-house. So this is our effort to take what would have been purchased services and move them into in-house as we as an organization espouse a philosophy that we want to use contracts a, lot, a little bit less or a lot less. Uh, not um, not completely go away with them because we will always need them and it's a good tool to have as for episodic needs but as we need to build things that are more long-term in nature we want to bring those things in-house and move away from the contract expenses which in some cases are more expensive uh, this is what we what, what we're anticipating doing across the different SBUs you'll see that the bulk of it is in system support and we'll talk about uh, a little bit more breakdown of that later uh, the next one is an MOU and regulation. So this is like as we've gone through this year and we've gotten those big you know, red flags of you either have had a regulatory experience that suggests that you need to do something differently and so you need to uh, add an FTE here or there to address an opportunity in pharmacy or in uh, acute care or what have you. And they're there, but a big portion of this, as you'll see later, is MOU related. So and, and largely SEIU in the sense that we got a big red flag that we weren't sufficiently covering meals and break periods on a uh, on a reliable basis and sort of in violation of our MOU and so we needed to address that in real time for this year but then expect that we need to uh, uh, experience and fix that in the out years as well and so this will be the first full year of that and so you'll see what that looks like in a little bit more detail all of these will break down the critical initiatives we talked about earlier and this is the, the numbers associated with that and then this one is the, the expanded services. So these aren't necessarily somewhat kind of critical initiatives, but not the critical initiatives as we've identified them. These are things where we've seen revenue opportunities for the organization or expense savings opportunities for the organization so that on, on net we're improving our financial position if we invest in certain things. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about what that is. Uh, this then comprises the whole number here. So. Uh, that, that total 321, so you'll see that some of those are sort of volume-related, uh, a few uh, to be uh, precise, but a great deal of them are uh, just shifting in costs from uh, what was a different experience to others, and some of them are increased cost is a cost of doing business. Could I just explain to me about the vacancies again, whether they're in this number or... I mean, it, it, so they are, if you look at the second column here, yeah. they become in this number because we're reflecting that they are out there in the organization and in our position control so that you know, if someone today said I needed to hire whatever those positions are, um, um, uh, we have it in our, in our number and that's occasionally and in the past where we've had some incongruences between paid FTEs when we're looking at you know, what we're paying out relative to what's actually in the organization and when people hire certain uh, positions that don't offset a registry cost or a uh, contracted cost, it's because that vacancy is out there and we weren't controlling the uh, position control to, so, to from, look at the connection between From the an operational standpoint, the, the, the 114, do you book a full year salary and then I know they're in various departments and then if it's not filled, the dollar goes to that department's bottom line and they can use it in other places or it falls to the bottom line in in your salaries and so we're doing two things uh, I'm going to describe it somewhat differently this year the first is yes we are booking it into the expense cost for the organization and full then year. for the full for year. the full year yes because uh, these FTEs have been 
Well, no, not these. Those, the other ones have been adjusted for and kind of expecting that we'll have them at different times. But this is for the full year, yes. And then um, the second part of your question, which is if they don't get used or if we repurpose them and they offset something that's uh, uh, over on the other side, then, well, let's just say if we don't use them, then it doesn't fall to that department necessarily as a savings. Um, we, when, because they will have come forward and asked us if we can uh, fulfill or, or budget this position or fill this position, and we will have granted authorization or not to do it. So, so I guess, let me, let me say that differently. Yes, it will live as a savings within that cost center, but it doesn't become a savings that they can necessarily use for something else. It's a savings that's tied directly to that position for which we've said you can't fill, and we're keep, as long as we keep the position there, then you can't use those, those dollars for another reason. Mm -hmm. So, but, but it's 114, it's 321 minus 114, or? Yes. The yes. Yeah, the 114 is inclusive or inside of the 321. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't understand your question. Could you make an assertion that if it doesn't answer an MOU regulation issue, and if it doesn't expand ROI, that critical initiatives could be considered discretionary? Uh, you could, you could partially make that assertion. Sometimes the critical initi initiatives are, well, I would say, yeah, I think in a pure way they're discretionary, but they are in furtherance of the strategic objectives of the organization. So they are, in, in, in that way, investments to get us to a different place as an organization. But I think it would be fair to say discretionary. So if you said we don't want to do these things or we shouldn't do these things, uh, then, then I think we would continue, but we would experience a organization that's not evolving to move in the direction that we want it to be. It would be an organization that's just maintaining what you're currently doing and, and projecting a sort of static experience. And, and the contracts to in-house, do those typically, are they revenue neutral or are they? Uh, it's, I, it's, it's yeah, a, um, it varies. Sometimes, I think in many cases, um, uh, there's a savings because when you contract, you're not just experiencing the uh, the, the contracted rate, but you also, which could often be higher because there's some costs associated with that, but some overhead also that's also associated with the contract. But uh, on the uh, in-house side, what you have to also consider is you're not just experiencing the, the salary, but you're also experiencing benefits yeah. and other things too. So so I think it, it, it cuts uh, a couple of ways. Uh, and, and to to Thompson's point, I would, I would argue that, I mean, we can, we can say that the critical initiatives, in some cases, some of them have an ROI because there's direct revenues associated with them. So That's what you're going to bring back to the to the next meeting, correct? We're going to correct that slide. Yeah, so we're going to correct that slide. So I just want to make the point that there's revenues associated with some of those FDEs that are supporting the critical initiatives, Prime, Health Pack, blah, blah, blah. There's revenues that if you decide not to do those things, then it, it really impacts our ability to deliver on some of those targets and what we need to do correct. that would then impact the overall bottom line. Correct. Thank you. But you can't anticipate what those revenues are going to be, but you know that they're there to grab. Got it. Uh, yes, you know that the opportunity is there. Correct. And we are, we are, in some cases, we are making some guess at what we, what we will anticipate uh, collecting. Okay. As chair, if you don't mind, just I want to do kind of a, okay. a yeah, tap to see how the board is feeling. Are you, are you have particular questions? Is this okay? Do you want him to continue on page by page? Are there critical things that you are concerned about and you want to know more about? I um, 
I, I think this is exactly my questions about the FCE issues that I raised at, at finance, especially this I'll count that as a win. Um, <laughs> it's like, and, and also your your question, um, Michelle, about where the where the revenue sits. I, I, um, I guess I because we're not going to fill every position on July first. No. Of, you know. I wish our HR and so we're going to be ha no, we're going to have a, a revenue stream that is that is beyond the, the operational expense for most of the year as we begin to fill these positions. Mm -hmm. And correct. So well, it depends, right? So in some cases, uh, some of the the roles um, are either it's not something that is starting. So if it's starting from scratch, then we don't have a cost associated with it until we incur the cost. If it is a position that we need to fill that we're currently um, uh, performing through registry or contract, we are going to experience that cost until we fill the position and then offset it. Well, so um, I guess then that's kind of my my question. We've gone through. We're looking at system support, and that's going to be supporting all the SBUs across the board. And yes. Very serious. There's 34 vacant positions, and you want to add another. You know, you want to double that, so you want to add another 90 positions or so. It looks like. Uh, and system support. Yeah. Uh, yes, when you, when you, it's not 90, but it's, it's close, it's oh, right. 60, it's 70, 40. it's yeah. 70, yeah. almost 80, yes. So, that adds up to 90. I mean, when you add everything together, that's over yes. 100 positions that yes. we're going to fill, and it just That we have like the potential we, to fill, that we're budgeting. But why, but if we can't fill the 34 that have been vacant, how are we going to be, Confident, and this isn't a question necessarily about the budget. It's sure. about our efficiency and about well, I, I, I can support this budget, but I'm not optimistic that we're going to get to these. So us not getting to this number in some cases, again, if it's stuff that we are not going to do until we incur the cost, if there's that that actually is a good thing. So it's a conservative the way. The budget then will yeah. be correct. I, it's, it's it's me positive. reflecting what the po the prospect is, and if we don't experience it, to my point about looking at the paid FTEs, uh, then we're 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 in the black. If we do experience it and we don't budget it, then we have a problem. The right, reverse right. is problem. Right. So I just urge you to especially system support because that supports the entire organization. I know yes. that should probably be a lot of the EHR additional um, FTEs probably would that be mm, actually not a lot of this is EHR, yeah. Some well, some of it is the uh, uh, backfill, but we'll, we'll go into detail of what it is because you want to know what it is. Yeah, fill the vacancies that can help you to fill all the other vacancies. Fill I, the vacancies first that you know for position control and for all of the um, support for HR, so yes. you can fill the other vacancies and reduce the the um, time to hire, etc. Aye, aye, Captain. Well, all right. I, I want to offer a slightly different perspective. <laughs> <because> <laughs> I'm concerned. Oh, your, your mic, please. I'm concerned about how much we're adding in yes. terms of staff. I'm Fair very point. concerned. Um, from a system standpoint, uh, if it matches a dramatic increase in the number of people that we're going to serve, mm -hmm. I have no question. Mm -hmm. If the number of people we're going to serve doesn't change, mm -hmm. And we're adding and the bodies. Overhead, yes. We're adding bodies because the system itself doesn't work right. Mm. You only get the results you get out of the system if processes are good and so on. So, just yes. a question. No, Is point. there any way that we are 
able to look at our lean efforts first and foremost to cut waste out of processes before we begin to add bodies. Because if you find out um, in most, if you find out in a lean analysis that a particular process has 50% of steps that add no value to the end goal, yes. then you're looking at potentially people who, who really should be redeployed to do other things. Yes. So I looked at these numbers, and, and I wasn't part of the first discussion, so mm -hmm. I'm sorry for not being uh, present at the last meeting. No worries. But the numbers here are pretty dramatic. Sure. And... So let me, let me address some of your points, which I appreciate okay. all of your points. Um, uh, so for the lean perspective, um, uh, as a critical initiative, uh, we have not built in the, uh, the separate part of like creating a lean infrastructure that will allow us to do the across the board look at all these things this year because we didn't feel that we had the sort of capacity to do so this year. But your point is well taken. Uh, I certainly would prefer to do that. I think in t time we can't, but one of the things we are doing to address that is the benchmarking effort. So, so we will have efforts underway uh, already actually uh, starting, but efforts underway as soon as possible in the year to create the relevant benchmarks on a unit basis that will help to inform, uh, not necessarily on a thorough basis of what those actual sort of process opportunities are, but at least on a, on a basis of comparison where there is likely to be waste in the organization and waste in a particular part of the organization, whether it's support services or on the direct uh, services side, that presents an opportunity. And you will see, actually, uh, one of the things we have um, uh, put into the budget, actually, oh, you see it right here. Uh, um, the last line on here says operational efficiencies. And you don't see it reflected in any, any one of these areas, but you see that the net is that we're, uh, we are uh, anticipating cutting 50 um, positions, not out of necessarily this number, but the total of this number, this number, this number, and this number, that we're not anticipating that we will need to fill all of these. And in fact, um, I'm going to call him out because he's sitting in front of me, my dear friend Luis. Uh, is not solely responsible for this because it will impact all the other areas, uh, but um, uh, as, as my COO, uh, he has the opportunity to help me to drive these efficiencies based off of that throughout the organization. And, and, and let's be clear, it's hard to hire someone and then find out you don't need them. Absolutely. So any opportunity that there is to first look at whether or not those efficiencies can be maximized before you bring on a new body. Right. I, just, I just really want to caution us that there's a lot of people yeah. around you. Point. And, and I bet if we ask, you know, and, and get further into this with, with the staff, the frontline workers, when you do the lean process, mm -hmm. they might say, oh, it's because we have to do all of these things. And right. So what, what I what I want you to know, which is not reflected in sort of the rollout here, but both for like the critical initiatives and the expanded services, and and to some extent the others as well. I mean, this one it's it's I'm going to ask that you kind of 
look at it as a, a flattening. This is not an increase, this is just a shift uh, of, of large sort. But for all of these, these are net numbers that we ended up with through a budgeting process where we've done exactly that. So people came forward with way more than this and said, this is what we need to do this, this is what we need to do this. And uh, all of these uh, fine people here said, no way, Jose. Go back and find out what you need. They probably didn't say Jose. I apologize for that. No uh, there's, uh, yes, there you go. <laughs> I know, I know. Mike's, Mike's uh, uh, shifting in his chair. As I I'm just glad it's you and not me. Like, did you, did you, did you, I don't know how much we budgeted for my, for my defense costs, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll work on that part. I'm not. You meant to say Luis. Thank you. No, I said no way, Luis. I'm yes. occasionally with someone named Jesus, and so you've got Jesus, Maria, and Jose. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, cool. Uh, so, so yes. No, your points are well taken. And and and, and again, the, the the two ways in which we want to do this: the benchmarking and the position control. We're really in this budgeting process. What I'm sort of begging your um, indulgence on is, I want to put it all here so that we recognize that this is the worst case scenario that it would be and it's not going to be you know I, I won't be coming to you saying uh, or my goal is not to have to come to you and say I need to ratchet this up but but instead that we are either managing within this or that we are under overperforming relative to what we what we put here and do something that these people already work here they just don't work for us And a lot of that is is registry backfill or overtime is another big uh, component of that. And so, so um, yes, I recognize still, and again, this is just uh, trying to uh, do a much more robust budgeting, uh, that the number is large. But the other two categories, which is the other 150 or so or 130 or so, are the new sort of investments that are really about uh, the effort to advance our strategic plan, position the organization, leverage our opportunities to improve our service delivery so that we're getting the right sort of skill mix and complement of skills that will then inform our ability to be more sanguine about uh, and more uh, informed about those other vacancies and other sorts of things that we have in the organizational budget and, and what we'll end up doing with them, mm -hmm. if anything. Did I did I do that okay, sir? Okay, thank you. Uh, so then, let's go into detail now. So this is the uh, breaking down the. Where, what do I? I thought I, this I was helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is by job classification. So I know there was a lot of. Uh, and, and a fair concern around, you know, what are what are in those positions that that we're uh, uh, bringing in house, and we're going to go into even more detail. But I may look to both Ishwar and Jody to help me out with this. But but you can see as a high level, uh, a fair amount of them um, in the contract to in house uh, are clerical, and the clerical items there are billing folks. Help me. Uh, I'm just Charge trying to the other titles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of finance uh, items, but it's in different uh, category or different uh, classifications, rep cycle, those sorts of things. Uh, technical and clinical specialist is actually, tell me which one that is. Phlebotomist. Thank you. Help desk uh, and the phlebotomist uh, uh, related to. That's on page 27 for the next page. The Oh, is there more detail? Yes. Am I am I cutting? Oh, sorry. There it is. That's so we're going to break down each one of these in the next slide. <laughs> no fair. You're looking through your deck. Okay, cool. All right. So there you go. Uh, so so and then we put on the side what the what the breakdowns are or or what the roles are. Um, 
Uh, so I've already talked about this one. Uh, the next one in MOU and regulations, uh, Brickner's coverage for Highland, Alameda, John George, and post acute And I want to say Alameda's on there um, because while we recognized through our effort uh, uh, in SEIU that we had an issue, it actually pointed out that our break coverage at San Leandro uh, was being handled appropriately, uh, but at Alameda was not. And so uh, there's uh, the, a little bit of the uh, uh, MOU and regulatory pieces uh, for the break coverage is, is there. And that represents actually of that um, um, that uh, total 75, the lion's share of it, the 64 of the RN roles mm -hmm. that are connected to that. The other nine, as you see, are dietary staff at Fairmont to meet contractual needs. Okay? Uh, the next is in um, uh, the critical So my point about, that I mentioned briefly, I would hope that this, these 64 RNs, in addition to the break coverage, but we would reduce our registry a Yes. So our expectation is obviously they won't all be hired right away. So we have registry costs, uh, but as those registry or as those positions get higher, this is a direct one-to-one -one of. But the registry number isn't reduced. It's the same as this year. Correct. Because what we're trying because to. Because you don't have them in the. You don't. You don't have them yet. They will. This is an 18 budget, so they're supposed to be hired next year, right? So why would the registry be the same? So what we've done is it's a it's a fair point. It's a conservative estimate of of not trying to uh, be because it's not just those RNs costs. It's other uh, pieces, but most of it is RN. Uh, as we experience uh, and we know, there's not a there's not a um, sort of perpetuity uh, related to this. So while there are registry costs that are related to certain RN roles and there are vacancies and other things related to that in this year in sort of the current budget as well as these sorts of things, as we fill these roles, we may experience reductions or attritions in other places where we expect registry costs to, to come up. Salary might go off, but registry will come up. And so we're just trying to keep sort of yeah, enough in both buckets sense. so that then we, we are appropriately uh, um, performing throughout the year and not looking at uh, um, And we tend uh, to chronically underestimate registry anyway. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we do. And we've done this for a number of years, and, and the team has heard me say, I am not doing this uh, uh, next year explaining why these registry costs are out of whack. So we're going to put it here, and we will manage it and monitor it, but we, are, we, we, will, we, will, we will look at or, or we will uh, uh, be managing this accordingly. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so then I go uh, to the critical initiative. So I want you to see where the uh, where this breaks down by job classification. So you see that the lion's share of it is in technical and clinical specialists, mm -hmm. and the breakdown of that uh, goes the big the biggest portion of it is in care management. So this is a part of that continuation of the care management redesign, and those are mostly roles like social workers or. I keep forgetting the title. We have a lot of different titles in there. This is uh, like case managers and um, there's still some other people. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. You guys know this better than I do. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, those are the care management roles. Uh, there are some in outpatient rehab expansion. This is our effort to uh, provide uh, more, uh, uh, more timely access to OT and PT to improve our discharges, uh, timely discharges, reduce our... Um, um, uh, what do you call them? Un disallowed days. Uh, so, so, so there are denied days, I should say, uh, uh, and fix that. Uh, the lean is the positions where 
uh, there's eight here because uh, the eight are the net new and there's 10, um, or I'm sorry, two uh, vacancies. And so uh, the net new is the, the, the eight, but the, the 10 is a total number, if you recall that earlier from our conversation. Uh, EHR, this is the 6.5 uh, FTE total that is backfilled that uh, can't be capitalized. <clears throat> Uh, and then we have some stuff in accreditation, risk, and regulatory part of opportunities that we've uh, um, experienced. As we know, we have licensing surveys coming up, and we have other opportunities to improve our our our, uh, our services from this uh, support service area over time. Um, and I think I'm speaking to that. Management positions, you saw a total of eight overall. Four of them fall under the uh, critical initiatives. Um, uh, or I'm sorry, six uh, for an ambulatory and two in post-acute. I do want to point out, though, that this is an, an ambulatory. At least two of them, I believe, are actually uh, not new roles. They are roles that have not been filled for about two years as we've tried to recreate the new SBU structure. So, for example, one of them is um, the VP of ambulatory, where we had a position. woman has gone on now to be chief operating officer for Santa Clara. Uh, that position has not been filled uh, for a while. Benita McLaren, I couldn't think of it earlier. Uh, but that is the role there, uh, and two of those, and two of those are uh, two new roles. And in post-acute, there are two new roles that are site managers or site administrators uh, for South Shore and Fairmont, Yeah, where we don't have them, whereas we do have it at uh, Park Bridge right now. So why would the two in ambulatory be counted under vacancies? Uh, they're... they're they're counted under new roles because they're not in our uh, cost experience, uh, and they haven't been for a number of years. So, so they they are new because we'll experience the cost again as we fill those roles this year, but not new as new new position net new positions. So, so I just want to point that out as for me. <clears throat> what are the six positions that aren't listed in the breakout doing? The six. So those are the six. Sorry. Where? I'm so sorry. the six. Are, the, we're talking about the management position. No, I'm looking on the right and adding up the numbers and comparing it to 70.8. Oh, so so there are there's a couple of pieces like onesie, twosie. So okay. what we attempted to do here was capture the big buckets or <clears throat> significant from a perspective of like if people are interested in you know are we increasing a lot of management costs and overhead. So so we really wanted to catch like high numbers that were at least five or more, but there's probably like one or two in a bunch of smaller areas that that we didn't capture here, and it's only uh, the, the delta is about six. But we can find out exactly what those are if you're interested in, in, in them. Okay. Uh, we've done that in a couple of areas, actually. The numbers don't always okay. add up exactly, uh, but but just capturing the high or the big, big chunks or significant chunks. Uh, expanded services, so... Um, uh, a number of the FTEs uh, you'll see are mostly RNs uh, or physicians uh, and then technical and clinical specialists in this area and then a few on the aid side and then if you look at the big areas uh, for RNs uh, this is the observation unit at Highland which we opened or are opening Monday? Is it Monday? That we're the observation unit? Yes. So OBS units open on Monday, uh, uh, which is a big deal because this will help us with patient throughput, uh, both from the um, um, sort of uh, uh, avoidable admission perspective, but also from the uh, post-procedural perspective. So people who need continuing observation don't need to be admitted to the hospital. I guess also avoidable admission uh, as well. Uh, Post-acute at Fairmont, a small amount, and then ICU at Highland, where we have additional bed capacity. We've 
point in fact uh, experienced a bit of challenge uh, recruiting all the ICU uh, nurses, but we have an opportunity to increase our ICU nursing to increase our volume in the ICU, which will help us across the system, not just at Highland. I'm hoping that some of the ones he's <coughs> to cover the surge decks in Alameda Hospital. Remember, we've had like, is it Swap who's mm -hmm. talked about how they've, they've been backed up on surgeries because there are not enough yeah. surgical technicians out there. So I hope that's been being addressed somewhere yes. out here. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Oh yes, return on investment. So each of these, uh, these, this uh, category only includes things that have a positive uh, uh, return on investment, and that's the reason we're doing them. So uh, that return on investment is, it's it's either. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's why I've been asking on the other budget lines, expand uh, discretionary, critical initiatives. Where's the ROI number? Right. Yeah. So and yeah, and that's on, on, on this one. So we'll we'll do that uh, for you or improve the one that we do have because we we catch your point about where the uh, uh, the inconsistencies or um, uh, inadequacies are. Uh, and this is is uh, outside of those critical initiatives, but uh, separate programs that are exclusively because it is point in fact not all the critical initiatives have a positive ROI, but these do. Okay. Um, and then the physicians. So I want to point out those 15 positions, the, the areas that it includes is anesthesia, GI, uh, mid-levels in orthopedics, urology, uh, primary care providers at Alameda, Hayward, and Newark. Would these be um, AHP physicians? Is that what you expect? Uh, mostly. Uh, but some of them are uh, uh, UAPD docs uh, in the ambulatory at Hayward and, and Newark. Okay? Mm -hmm. And if they're AHP, it's a combination of both AHP directly employed docs or contracted uh, increases, like we were just talking earlier. Uh, uh, um, uh, O'Care, yes. Thank Can you. I just? I'd like to um, thank all of you and your team for that presentation, that part of the presentation. That that was really it, it, from going from last Where week we were. from finance to you know with the questions and everything that really yeah. did answer my questions about how each FTE relates and where and where the, the labor is going to show up in our, um, even if it doesn't show up immediately in revenue, it, it's going to show up in efficiency or mm -hmm. elsewhere. Well, thank you. And thank you all for the questions because, I, I, again, I think it's helpful to have our various perspectives because we're so close to this sometimes that we think we're, we're being transparent and there's a layer, layer of detail that we're not sharing with you and when you ask for it, obviously we, we want to get it for you. So I want to give the credit uh, to where it's due and that's mostly to uh, Jody and Dishwari, uh, but also to David and Luis and others who've helped to do this, but they really carry the water. So well, I, and I, I want to echo what Tracy this. says. The, the packet itself is so much more robust and detailed that it's really, it eases significantly the angst that I think we were feeling before. You know, yes. I mean, there's still a concern, obviously, when we know what the conditions are in the federal and how <clears throat> how scary this whole situation is. But um, it, it certainly, I think, has come a long way in the development of this. Okay. Um, what I think is really important is, and uh, I'm not going to speak for the board, you know, we'll vote on this budget next board meeting, mm -hmm. and whether it's up or down, I think the thing that's very, very important is that the staff understand that 
human beings make errors. This is not an exact science. We're, we're trying to figure out how to improve a system. And so if somewhere along the line there is stumbling or we over-projected or we under-projected, mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's really important that you feel comfortable enough to come to the board and in a public session and not feel like you're humiliated or beat up or any of those things. Mm -hmm. That people have to understand that we're really working on and everybody's got a role to play and our, our role is to make certain that we're asking you the questions so that you can do exactly what you did. Absolutely. Um, but to obfuscate later on or to hide something or out of fear that the board is is going to humiliate. I think you guys got to feel really comfortable that that we're on your we're on your side. Mm -hmm. This thing, we're in this together, and we really want this to work. Thank so. you. I appreciate Just you saying as much. Boardroom, right? I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I'm about to tear up. Okay, I'm almost done here. Let's get through this. Can I also Let's add that philosophically, this? we need yes. to sign. And, and you know the amount of work is amazing. If I'd known we were killing my friend Shwari, my have asked so many questions. That, like, you all were doing the work. Um, Sorry, um, that we are, we would be voting. Just I, I, I totally get it, and you know I'm prepared to do what's what's right. But we're philosophically saying that we are willing to accept 35% decrease in our performance in the next fiscal year and in subsequent fiscal years never to return to the profitability of this fiscal year and the previous year. And if we're happy to do that, that's great. But that's what we're saying. Yes. And I just want to make sure no matter what's packed in here, we're, we're, we're making you know a pretty serious course correction here. I absolutely I appreciate you saying that, and I think that's... But, we're, that's but a we're making a financial course correction, but we, in doing so, we have an opportunity to change the dynamics of this hospital and to increase the efficiencies and to do the things that we have been upset about for a long, long time. Access, the uh, ability to provide the kind of care that we are hoping and believe in that this staff and hospital can, can develop. So... You know, it's scary. But I would conjecture I every board has made that has been presented with the same fact over the last 20 years of financial performance. I doubt any C-suite came in and said, we're going to screw up for two years and make sure we drive this into the ground. No, um, but I don't think that there has been the attention given to the kind of work that has been going on in the last two years relative to this budget. I really don't. And you, I mean, you saw it from a foundation standpoint, but I don't know that you, you saw it from the operation here. When we went through two or three different finance people, we couldn't get questions answered, stuff was a mess. Um, I think David and the staff has made incredible gains huh? in, no in this process. So um, I, I, for one, am incredibly optimistic and critical. Yes. I, you know, the key is benchmarking. Know. You know, <laughs> you know, I, you know if we don't get benchmarking on a monthly be. basis, yes. uh, then it's all for naught. But if we benchmark against this, then yeah. that's right. That's and and it's the benchmarks yeah. that I think are going to be so important. Yeah. And and I, I appreciate everything uh, all, uh, all of you articulated, yeah. and I share yeah. a lot of Absolutely. the the. Um, 
the sentiment, all the sentiments, you know, that the, the, the appreciation to the team for the work that they're doing that I think is laudable, uh, but also the, the sentiment about the angst, you know, that not only the angst that's caused by, you know, kind of the what's happening around us, uh, but the angst in terms of what we're endeavoring to do, uh, and and that is not, um, um, it is not a. We're not taking the path of least resistance here. We're not taking a path that's 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 always successful for every organization. So it's not a slam dunk. Uh, uh, but we are really trying to be very thoughtful and as far ahead as possible in our thinking around how we do this, that we can minimize the amount of mistakes that we won't inevitably make because we're doing something that this organization hasn't done before. Uh, uh, but do and and then make them to the point where they are not death meals for the organization or we find ourselves in a really uh, catastrophic situation here. So so I share all of those sentiments as we move forward and, and we'll do my best along with the team to make sure that we are you know, watching what's going on both internally and externally as much as possible and, and thinking about how we course correct and bringing those options to you and working with you. And not be fearful your to ideas. come forward if things aren't going in the right direction Absolutely. so that you know we're in this together and if there's a public, if something falls out. It's all our responsibility to, and not just. Right. Yes. Not just well, I'll go down with you. That's yeah. right. Well, thank you. <laughs> just so long as we only wear orange by choice. <laughs> <laughs> only wear orange by choice. We're not putting. And stripes. I only wear stripes by choice. Speak for yourself, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> okay. While well, I have you together. Um, okay. So we'll quickly go through these, and apologies, uh, some of the uh, lighter colors here. Uh, I want to caveat this. Uh, all of these next slides. So this was our attempt to break down this sort of aggregate performance um, uh, that you saw in the in the uh, overall performance uh, into the business units. Uh, it is completely um, a moving target now. So it is as best a reflection as things are right now, but particularly on the revenue uh, side of this, uh, the expense sides are Fairly, uh, uh, fairly accurate. The revenue side still make it both tough to just look at the revenue now, as well as then looking at the ratios below. And the reason why the ra uh, this is a challenge now is we are still stabilizing and adjusting some of the um, some of the cost centers and how we attribute some of the uh, various revenue sources, uh, both supplemental and net patient, to the different business units. So we're adjusting that based off of our learnings this year and trying to get that right. So. So I, I honestly don't want to spend a ton of time in going through this because it's it, it has its sort of it it has its challenges right now. But we wanted to at least we could not give it to you as a breakdown. Uh, so we want to show you kind of what it looks like now. But really, I guess the the most value here is to just say, see a different slice by SBU of where the various mm -hmm. budget impacts are in those in those up. Uh, in those SVUs, that's really more about the expenses and a little bit about the uh, uh, about the revenue as well. So, um, so actually, if I could just do that as an overarching, unless you have any questions about any of it, uh, I'd be happy to entertain it. Uh, but I, I, it would not be particularly useful to go through it, understanding that at, at that level, it's a, it's a bit of a challenge. What you can be assured of is that though that all of this rolls up to the ultimate budget, which is it's some moving parts to kind of clean it up a little well, bit. Well, exactly. And it looks to me like when we got the memo, it, it talks in general terms, here's what we're doing in population health, here's what we're doing in ambulatory. Here's you know, with this, it, it really does. It tells you uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's almost like, I mean, we're not going to ever see a line item of here's, you know, what it costs for a particular service or for the new 
whatever it is, the new um, service that we just built in, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. we, it, it's impossible to do that. But this comes about as close as I think you can get, and yeah. I. It's a broad stroke, yeah. uh, brush, but it, it's, it's based in, in that same sort of... Uh, but it's at a board uh, level, not a management level, and I right. really think right. that this is, yeah. is exactly what a board needed. Okay. Okay. So then with that, actually, uh, uh, again, unless you want me to answer any questions well, that's in just, here... Just had a quick one. I will. Tell yes. me what provider delivery means. So, pro yeah, so that is the, the reason why we call that particular business unit uh, provider delivery is because it's a combination of Alameda Health Partners and the um, the providers who aren't in Alameda Health Partners are are UAPD docs that are mostly um, uh, are actually some of the ambulatories in ambulatory, but some of the um, the uh, uh, psych docs I think are, are here. So our our UAPD docs who are in psych are, are no they're in no, behavioral. UAPD is ambulatory. Psych is in behavioral. behavioral health. Here this is where you've got essentially you know all your contract providers AHP and you know like O'Care, O'Care, and and some of the other just contracted mm -hmm. providers. That's right. But, but there also is uh, there are some contracts that aren't in well there's at least one contract that isn't in AHP yet. Uh, and that's our behavioral health contract. So it doesn't. We didn't put that one in behavioral health, right? Yes, no, we did. No, I thought the uh, TBH one. Did it? TBH is in behavioral. It is in behavioral. It's not yes. here. Okay. So and and as well as the UAPD docs that are in. Correct. So, so again, so that's that right. one was no, clean. Right. That right. one was clean now. because it's just specifically <laughs> yeah. targeted for behavioral. Yeah. So right. TBH and UAPD is in behavioral. This includes AHP, O-Care, and then some. Again, we have some contracts with other specialties and providers. Right. Correct. That right. provides services. There we go. So there's provider delivery. And as the surgeon. Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh, right. Like the, UC, the UCSF contract would be here. That's correct. Yes. Thank you. Just Thank you. What Sorry. didn't understand the, the reason? The unit. Yeah. Uh, from a strategic, that's what it is, from a strategic planning perspective, when we work on various initiatives around our sort of provider uh, process, when we talk about various initiatives, while the the budget expense and revenue impact may live otherwise. We try to, the goal is to align whatever we're doing with our provided delivery, irrespective of where it lives, uh, to be uh, in alignment. So things like what uh, Dr. Savio mentioned, uh, approaches to contracting that are not just based on service delivery, but incentives uh, that are aligned with the expectations of the organization may not be here um, uh, in provided delivery, but we want to take the same approach as we go across the area. So. And not to belabor it, but the, the, the revenue things are what again? I mean, how do they... So it's our, what it is, is when you take our, our overall sort of uh, um, um, budget and cost centers, we have taken the, the revenue uh, and broken it out by each individual area. So net patient service revenue, what is that? So that's the, the reimbursement that we get. In, in case it, for provider delivery, it will be professional fee the revenue that we get from the, the provider profits. services. Yeah, But we're still working on the allocation of, of these. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to spend a lot of time kind of going through these because they're not there's, no, no, I just, just inaccuracies. In, in bold, but that's what it is. Strokes. And then the supplemental revenues are things that have to do with... It's the waiver. It's measure A. It's... Um, other supplemental parcel taxes, other uh, big supplemental funds. But you kind of assign that to the to the provider. Right. We we want to okay. over time we're apportioning it to the connected service that it would, it would be most uh, perfectly aligned with. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks. Okay. Now I see part of it would be in the provider Correct. bucket. And part so if you look in every category, you'll yeah. see yeah, yeah, yeah. you know bits and pieces of it. But we're we're cleaning it up a bit. So I want to just do kind of a housekeeping, and uh, there's some questions. Maria, you have something? Yeah, I have a question uh, 
based on the packet that's in board effect. Um, and just an observation, I hope we're not going to kill more trees for some reason. Everything's in here and all of a sudden we're getting the packets copied, so uh, ooh, that drives me crazy. Um, on page 210 of the packet, no. under revenue maximization, um, first of all, uh, I'd like to know, is PFS pay for success billing? Oh, no. patient financial services. Okay, patient financial services, all right. Um, second, at one point at a retreat, I think two years ago, we discussed what could be done to have a revenue generating um, activity service and we talked about home health aids and we talked about a couple of things like that, patient navigation services. I, you mean sort of a service that we would offer outside of, uh, of our walls as a sort of a service to other uh, providers? And other? Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and I just don't want to forget that we brought that up because yeah. it, it's it's potentially an area that, that I, I think we have um, talent for. Yes. And I would agree with you. And I have one good example that we're actually uh, uh, in the early exploration stages that was driven by a change in the state budget, but but um, we think we're well positioned for. So when the governor passes May revised budget in May, um, uh, we, they accelerated something that they had pushed off by a year, and it was the expectation for um, uh, adequate access to palliative care services for Medi-Cal population. We have, as many of you will know, uh, built up a fairly robust uh, uh, palliative care service here at Highland um, uh, for both uh, inpatient but also now uh, through thanks to a grant that we got from the California Healthcare Foundation in the outpatient space, largely in ecology but but in the outpatient space. We are, um, it's not a lot of money in the first uh, go around, it's sort of a granting process, I think like $50,000, but then it'll also have some uh, uh, patient service revenues associated with it as well. But we're uh, working to talk to the Alliance about how we might actually then extend our space and our capacity for palliative care services as a service that their other capitated providers might need for their patient population. So an opportunity to sort of be a little bit more entrepreneurial uh, in that way. Uh, it's a small uh, thing, but it's it's a it's a toe in that in the water in that particular direction. I really like that, um, and I really want to encourage that because um, not only are we on this ship that uh, you don't want to go down with. <laughs> if, it, if we need to. We're in a tsunami. There's so much coming at us in terms of, you know, legislative change, in terms of expectations of what healthcare will be. Mm -hmm. And and I think we have to be mindful of being a little bit ahead of the curve and anticipating what are those opportunities uh, that are revenue generating mm -hmm. that leverage the strengths that we have. So that's a really great example. Fair point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And can we look for more? And I don't know where that happens, but that really should happen. And I would have put it in my innovation grant, but Trustee Thompson made me get rid of it. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. What? I I, no, I, I, no, I said to philanthropy, get it, you know, most no. health systems do it through the philanthropic, or not out of operating it, cash flow. You can do anything you want, you, you can't do, do everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. So and actually, just, but we I learned that from Trusty Lawrence. So yeah. full transparency mm -hmm. too, so we're not going to do the innovation grant this year unless uh, there becomes an opportunity like that where it is actually uh, completely externally funded and 
Uh, I am, while I'm not devoting any staff resources and time to uh, uh, pursuing it, I will be talking to the foundation about it as an opportunity. Oh, she's not here anymore. Uh, but I will also, I'm actually, I started some cursory work with uh, sort of the, the field, as it were, with uh, uh, networks and contacts, and I'm, um, I'm starting to till that land, and if something happens or presents itself, so I don't want to be disingenuous, um, uh, uh, I will come back to you and say, hey, voila, we have this great opportunity, uh, but it won't be in the, in the same way that it was coming forward uh, this year. So thank you for the point. Why you don't hire all those people? Can you get any, do you have yes. any questions? <laughs> no. Any more Joe? I'm good. Yeah. Tracy? No question. Gary? Right. Okay. okay. What about me? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I pass you by? <laughs> I think you said enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cooked. Yeah, now I know why we're Are you okay? $20 trillion in debt as a country. They gave up. <laughs> it, really, I'm sorry. No, no. Totally. Yes. <laughs> Yes, thank you very okay. much. So, <laughs> we have the committee reports, Louis's and thank you, uh, committee chairs, for getting those in. Uh, David's financial report is a written report. Mm -hmm. So, David, do you have any comments that you wish to make? Mm -hmm. Hearing none, I'll move on. No. <laughs> yeah, we're out of chicken wings. <laughs> I'm teasing. If you, if you have something to say, uh, please. Just that we did report a favorable uh, results in April, and we do have an agreement with the alliance to provide that advance we talked about. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we have no, uh, we have no, um, do we have any public comment? No. I'll move. Please. Oh, oh excuse me. Thank you. Uh, Mike Williams uh, from the City of Alameda Healthcare District President. I just want to applaud this board and uh, the leadership of Alameda Health System for putting together a budget that has a focus on access and in particular for the City of Alameda is the um, primary care clinic that is in the budget. So I appreciate that. Um, I would like to caution, though, however, that the talk about running lean. And um, I know from experiences that when you when you talk about running lean, um, from a one standpoint, it's good for management. But on another standpoint, it's may not be good for the patient experience. So. Um, so I caution you on, on that talk about running lean, as long as it doesn't affect patient experience, patient access, um, in particular to the city of Alameda and the, and the folks that I represent, um, and the, the county as a whole. Um, so I caution that. And then on a different note, um, I was going through your website. I was looking for past minutes. There's agendas and things posted there. However, I couldn't find the minutes to the, in the links. So I went specifically to the link to the minutes for past meetings I've heard that before. and could not find the minutes. Um, and uh, in particular to this meeting, the presentation that was on posted was uh, slightly different than what was presented tonight. And, and in particular, the uh, ambulatory care for the Alameda showed a, a, a deficit or a decrease of 8%. And your presentation showed zero. So that's a... Uh, an issue that uh, I was a little nervous about pre-reading the presentation and then coming here. I was relieved that that was changed, so I appreciate it. So thank you very much. We'll take a look at that. Thank you. Okay. I know we're having some growing pains in that area, and we, we think we can rectify it pretty, pretty quickly. So thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, any further comment? Okay. Uh, we have no closed sessions, so the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.